people you are back with the true north fantasy football podcast trav here you can find me on twitter at tcl14 i got my co-host with me tyrell mclaughlin ty it's been a while man i'm I'm super excited how you doing man yeah i am doing good man it is good to have you back and congratulations again on the kid i can't congratulate you and sabrina enough and uh i'm, I'm really pumped on you having a boy finally and uh it really that's a that's a good mesh to the family that's some good roster construction you got building there yeah, we are. We are definitely building a squad over here. So it's been fun. It's been busy. Um, I'm super excited to get back in the lab, though. Um, been in the house with the kids and, and the wife for about a month. And so it's nice to have a little bit of fantasy football uh, therapy, so to say. Absolutely. It's been uh, we've all been a little cooped up. That's for sure. Mm-hmm, no doubt. No doubt. It's wild times out there. But uh, we're not going to focus on the bad. We're not going to have any more kid talk. We are going to have a quarterback winners and losers episode tie so we're going to talk post-draft winners and losers out of the quarterback ranks um so yeah it's going to be a fun talk we're going to talk about some of these guys who got uh, weapon additions some of these guys who maybe didn't get weapon additions um what are you stoked about for this episode yeah, I think it's a good way to dive into some reactions to the draft. I think this is just a good excuse to get in some of the rookies like a C.D. Lamb. You know, obviously Dak Prescott's a winner, but we want to dive into C.D. Lamb and players like that. So I think it'll be fun to go through some of the team's most affected, tackle it from the top down. I mean, we're a little late to the Clyde edwards Elaire mm-hmm. 101 party and stuff like that, <laughs> but we definitely have lots of rookie running back talk ahead in the near future. But diving into a handful of teams, getting ahead of the market in our super flex leagues, I think that's a, a good place to start. Yeah, man, big time. I'm actually skipping that party too, so it's all good for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> but we will uh, we will definitely get to that at some point in the near future as well. So um, real quick, Ty, before we start, actually, I just want to talk real quick about something that we just started on the site. We're pretty stoked about it, and that is uh, TNFF gear. Uh, so we actually made some merch. We've got some hoodies. we got hats. we got T-shirts. You can find those on the site at truenorthffb.com slash shop. Uh, yeah, we're super stoked about it. We got uh, we got the logo front and center on all that stuff. It looks pretty fresh and got a couple orders trickling in. So we appreciate all those people. And uh, if you want to check it out, hit the site, like I said. So uh, that is TNFF gear, something we just launched this past week. So we're pretty fired up. Yeah, some fresh digs. And mm-hmm. you know, I love all those videos watching the prospects unpack all their fresh digs. They get all the swag from the team. Claypool was a good one. Chase Claypool from mm-hmm. the Steelers. He's, you know, there's some good ones there. Yeah, definitely perks to being a pro athlete for sure. Um, yeah, I know. It actually makes me super jealous. It kind of puts my mom to shame on Christmas. You know, I get like 10 <laughs> awesome Steelers gear, but like nothing compares to what they're getting. That's no sure. shit. No shit. Right on, man. So why don't you uh, why don't you fly right into our first quarterback winner? We're going to start with the winners and then we're going to get to the losers afterwards. But we're going to talk winners first. So kick it off, Ty. Yeah, definitely a, a lot more to go through on the winners. And this first one is definitely the exciting one, the one mm-hmm. I'm most pumped to get into. So Dak Prescott, I mean, get C.D. Lamb. And the pillars of the second tier at quarterback, it's shifting again. It's almost unanimously Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray, and then Deshaun Watson. So how the times shift, and that's how I have it ranked for redraft right now, honestly. It was Kyler, 
who had passed Deshaun Watson in ADP recently, you know, because of the new Hopkins deal and everything. And Dak was still being selected in that Russell Wilson range, and Kyler and Deshaun were going before them still. But now we're seeing post-NFL draft, Dak Prescott being drafted right alongside Kyler Murray, if not ahead of him. And those two almost form a new two-man tier behind Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes, I think leaving Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson in sort of a tier behind them. Uh, so, Trav, how do you see all this playing out in Dallas? C.D. Lamb thievery. You have Mike McCarthy, who stepped away from the game, seems to be coming back with an anical, uh, analytical chip on his shoulder. And I know I beat it with a dead horse, but you have Kellen Moore, baby. We saw what he could do in uh, this first year of the offense call and play. So, Trav, how high is too high on Dak Prescott? And is it too high to say we're looking down the barrel of the NFL's number one passing offense 2020? Uh, I think, you know, uh, it's going to be hard for people to tell me that there is a better passing offense. I think last year, obviously, we saw Dak finish as the quarterback, too. Um, and the offense just kind of really opened up for him last year. He moved into the top 10 in a ton ton of categories, pass attempts, yards, deep attempts, touchdowns, bunch of other stuff. Uh, it was really just nice to see him get the additional opportunity that comes with a pass-heavy offense and to take advantage of that opportunity. So I guess what I'm saying is that um, there's almost not too high for Dak. Like, I've been seeing him in super flex drafts probably, like, early second round, and I'm totally okay with that, especially with the addition of C.D. Lamb. So I'm right there with you that Kyler and Dak are kind of a two-man tier. Uh, but, I mean, Dak, after taking the L with not getting that long-term contract, got a big W on draft day. Absolutely, and I, I think the Cowboys are right there. I think the Chiefs are probably the champs. You have to mm-hmm. knock off the, yeah, if you're okay. the Cowboys for that passing game throne, but it, it won't surprise me if they are on top of that throne, just like the Chiefs surprised us by not being on top of that throne last year, right? But the landing spot is glorious. I think I see blue. He looks glorious. I think people are underrating it for the passing game. People are kind of shying away. You know, you see... Amari Cooper drop in ADP, uh, Michael Gallup's just free-falling in ADP, but right away we should say the Dallas Cowboys, they have the second most available targets in the NFL, almost 200 targets from last year, up for grabs, 33% of their passing game, and a lot of red zone work is gone, including the team's top target inside the 10 zone, leaves with Jason Witten, right, over 30% of their 10 zone volume up for up for grabs, and almost one-third of the air yards from last year are vacated too, so most of that work is left over from the departure of Jason Witten, but also Randall Cobb. And what that tells me right away is we know that volume's going to get distributed. We know this offense with Kellen Moore calling plays is going to throw the ball, but it's safe to say we can expect an even bigger dash of efficiency when we take away Randall Cobb and Jason Witten, who specialize so close to the line of scrimmage, but transfer that work to these three wide receivers and CeeDee Lamb, Blake Jarwin being the main benefactors, like this just feels like an unstoppable offense all of a sudden. And if that's the case, Trav, I think we have another huge question to hit, kind of the main reason we want to talk Dallas and one that could be a huge part of league-winning fantasy teams, I think, next year. Who is the Cowboys wide receiver too? Uh, I think we're all fully behind Michael Gallup, one of my highest-owned players in best ball, but getting CeeDee Lamb is just something nobody saw coming. So what what is your stance on this one, Trav? Uh, it's tricky. I could see, you know, short-term next year, 2020, it being Michael Gallup still, just because of the rapport that he built. He had a stellar season last year, and it's crazy that he's fallen so much, but I think long-term, it's definitely CD. Um, he's going to play a lot a lot in the slot from what we hear, and I think they've got a lot of room to run a little bit more 11 personnel. They only ran it on 49% last year, and the top teams were in like that 60% range. Uh, so I think they're definitely going to come up in that. And so, uh, you know, I think these guys are all going to be on the field quite a lot 
together. So I'm not necessarily worried about putting the wide receiver two label on necessarily. Um, I think potentially CD might have a season to hit, you know, up in that upper echelon where we think he can be, whereas Gallup could probably still produce, you know, top 24 numbers this year. Yeah, and I'll say for best ball, especially even startups with deep rosters, we should be trying to get all three of these guys maybe for real. Mm-hmm. The range of outcomes exists that they're all fantasy viable in 2020. Like you said, I didn't really, I didn't realize their three wide receiver sets were that low. Mm-hmm. And it was just a couple of years ago, we saw both the Falcons and the Buccaneers support three top 36 wide receivers. And, you know, new head coach Mike McCarthy, who all of a sudden I like for some reason, but he was once <laughs> paired with Aaron Rodgers, of course. And, you know, they, they had a good track record if they had probably the best track record of anybody supporting three wide wide receivers at once and we may be able to get all three of the Cowboys wideouts in like the fourth and Michael Gallup and CeeDee Lamb probably later but before the double digits it just it won't be super cheap it won't be super expensive but it could be ultra explosive and you know there's a chance you yield a pair of top 12 wide receivers if it does funnel through just two guys extensively and then looking at that wide receiver two debate, it is tough, right? Like mm-hmm. Michael Gallup seems to have the upper hand via perception. But when you listen to the post-draft press conference, listening to even other general managers level of shock to see CD Lamb make it to 17 overall, like there, there's certainly a chance Lamb is immediate, immediately considered the, the second best wide receiver on the team internally. It, I think he's going to smash either way, right? The one small concern with his college production was playing at Oklahoma. He's kind of schemed up pretty good looking mm-hmm. at one-on-ones all the time. And if he landed with the Raiders or Jets, we could have had concerns about that, right? Like, he was just constantly in one-on-one situations in college, and he was able to look like a, a six foot five, 230-pound wide receiver, but we know CeeDee Lamb is not that big. Um, but none of that matters in an offense where defenses have to account for Amari Cooper first and foremost and then choose between Gallup and CD. and you can't give three safeties to help out on every play, and if so, Zeke smash. But I, I, it would be concerning. I'd be concerned if I was a Michael Gallup owner, though. I really would. And it's going to be a real test to take lock if I think we see CeeDee Lamb getting a little more prioritized than Michael Gallup. And I know they were transparently giddy, well, Jerry was, which was kind of the opposite of the lack of emotion or energy we saw displayed by the commissioner. That was refreshing. <laughs> but what, what I was getting at is, some of the quotes from the Cowboys brass, like McCarthy went so far as to suggest Lamb is the wide receiver too and saying that he's a great addition to the 11 personnel packages. And so what did you say for the three wide receiver set, the 11 personnel numbers? Uh, 49% they ran. Yeah, and I put here, I'll be shocked if they're under 70% 11 personnel. So no it's doubt. really crazy that they were that low, you know, and that gives CeeDee Lamb that upside for 60, 70% snap share as a rookie, which is half the battle in an area that I'm guilty as charged, but we miscalculate a lot, you know, with rookies as the snap share and that's something we could see a lot of in this unique offseason upcoming in particular and sticking with the coats jerry jones had some fun ones eh, Trav? uh sort of sticking it to your boys <laughs> yeah. maybe sticking it to atlanta for not making a trade but they also claim cd was their number one uh number six player on the draft board i think and yeah you mentioned the division rival trying to trade up for for cd lamb who was so obviously the uh the eagles so Regardless of this wide receiver two debate, where where do you think he fits into the offense? Do you think CeeDee Lamb is the slot wide receiver? You kind of touch on it. Do you think it gives Dallas the versatility, the flexibility with the slot? Like, do you think we'll see Amari Cooper and stuff? Oh, big time. I think they can shift CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper easily in and out of the slot if they want to. Um, it, it, it's going to be really exciting to see. I'm, I'm excited to see Kellen Moore's offense get that extra jolt as well. Like it was fantastic last year. Um, and to see, you know, like I said, that they were running those uh, low 11 personnel totals. They actually were only 12th in the league in wide receiver target percentage. So I could see that going up as well. And I think CD fits in super nicely with that. And 
they're just going to be you know super hard for defenses to key in on who's going to be where and if they if they use a lot of motion it's going to be tough for people to stop so it's going to be a sick offense and i think cd is going to probably produce pretty good numbers right out of the gate yeah, and I think he fits right in the slot. Like, Randall Cobb, he played almost 500 snaps in the slot last year, the third most snaps, uh, snaps in the slot in the NFL, and he had almost 50 catches coming the slot. Amari um, Cooper, he played just 14% of his snaps from the mm-hmm. slot, and the stats are so Amari. He had 17 targets in the slot, caught 11 of them, almost 20 yards per reception, just crushes from the slot statistically, really. But in pure Amari fashion, he had four drops on his 17 targets from the slot. He's Ugh. the only player in the NFL to have over a dozen targets in the slot and drop one quarter of them. And overall, if you go back in time, it's it's actually a little overblown how good Amari is in the slot. So I, I'm anticipating seeing C.D. Lamb there quite a bit. Uh, Amari will play more than 14% of his snaps in the slots for sure, but I'm not going crazy with, with projecting a ton of use in the slot. And then if you look at CeeDee Lamb, I think he can dominate there. He sure did mm-hmm. in college. Just last year, he had 99 snaps in the slot, 35 targets, 25 catches, 7 touchdowns. Only Jamar Chase was better uh, from the slot last year, who played a lot less in the slot. Uh, obviously, Justin Jefferson man that quite a bit for LSU. But it, it's like the narrative goes, I think C.D. Lamb, he wins in every way, and that includes after the catch. If he's playing out of the slot, he can really show that aspect of his game, which we didn't see a ton of at Oklahoma. But even on limited touches, you know, being able to display his yards after the catch, he has the most yards after the catch going since he's been in the college football ranks since 2017. And I just think he broke a lot of tackles, and totally. that's why he's such a tantalizing prospect is because he, he can do it all. So. Do you think he's gonna? Do you think he's gonna be able to also see sort of a, a role in the red zone? Because that's what I wanted to ask. I think with Jason Witten leaving, that's the other part we have to kind of attack in this Dallas offense for fantasy. Yeah, definitely. And I looked a little bit into that too, and I think there is definitely some opportunity for somebody to snag the lion's share of these red zone targets. In in Dallas last year, they were spread out really, really well across the entire team. Zeke had the most red zone targets on the entire team. And then you mentioned it earlier, Jason Witten had the most inside the 10-yard line. He had six there. So those targets could easily shift and funnel in one direction. And then when you look at CD in the red zone last year, he had 14 catches on 28 targets for nine touchdowns. So... That's really nice work in the red zone, right? And I think CD, especially if he gets in the slot there, Randall Cobb had uh, eight red zone targets last year, the same amount as Michael Gallup, and Amari Cooper only had nine, so one more than those guys. So like I said, it's really spread out, and nobody's kind of taking the bull by the horn and become Dak's favorite target in there, and CD definitely could do that just as well as the other guys could. Yeah, and that's why I really like him this year is because he has that spike touchdown upside for sure, and I just I can't get over how he felt like everything we were talking about. He's still going to be 21 years old in his rookie season. So the age adjusted production, all the nuance, all the polish and now landing in an ultra dangerous passing game with the young quarterback and coordinator. And, but I want to I want to ask you a couple of over unders for 2020. So okay. Trav, if I gave you over under 75 targets and 50 catches, what, what do you think there? I can see, I think over, I think I would probably like safely go over because um, not to get back into the Randall Cobb thing, but Randall Cobb had 83 targets last year and he had 55 grabs and we've mentioned that CD is going to be way more efficient than he is. And so there's definitely volume up for grabs and they didn't draft him in the first round at 17 overall to not use him. Right. So you also mentioned that Jason Witten targets that are vacated. He had 83 targets on his own, right? So that's 166 targets between Cobb and Jason Witten. So there's plenty for CD to give, you know, maybe top 30 numbers this year. 
Yeah, like these these guys could all see like eighteen percent of the market share. What I, what I love about CD Lamb though really is that he could do it all. Like I just can't get over if he plays outside, he's going to be able to put up those deep touchdowns and those big plays and be that deep downfield contested catch guy. And he actually had the most twenty five yard catches of any wide receiver in this class. He also had a higher percent of twenty five yard plus catches of any wide receiver in this class, just off the chart. So I, I really have so much faith in CD Lamb. I think he really does cement himself in that red zone uh, role as well because we know Mark Cooper has trouble against number one cornerbacks. Michael Gallup might benefit from all the attention, but I think that's going to that's gonna be a big factor is who defenses key in on between the two because we know it's going to be harder. You're escaping man coverage once you get in the slot for CD Lamb. So uh, where, where do you have CD Lamb ranked in your, in your rookie ranks right now? I've been flip-flopping a little bit, I'll be honest, but right now I actually have CD as my wide receiver one still. Um, it was flip-flopping between him and Jalen Rager, but I think the fact that, you know, I looked into that slot usage last year and it was nothing to to shake a stick at in Dallas. And, you know, like I said, if, if Randall Cobb can put up 800 plus yards, he only got three touchdowns. So there's definitely room there for CD to improve on that. Uh, I think if we if we call Randall Cobb's 80 targets a minimum, I think for me, it's got to be CD because the long term looks great. And this is all assuming that Dallas figures it out and gets Dak signed, of course. Um, obviously, I'd be a little bit more emphatic on it if Dak had a four-year contract, but um, it's a little bit sketchy there. Uh, I think they're probably going to end up getting it done, and so that's where my ranking is based on because long-term, if he's sitting there with Dak in that Dallas offense, uh, I think it's got to be CD at one. Where do you have him? Yeah, I've I've Lamb as my wide receiver one in rookie drafts. He's also my number four overall player. CD Lamb being so high in my rankings, though, it's kind of lends to how I feel rookie drafts should be attacked in a sense. Though, you know, like if you're taking a wide receiver early in a rookie draft, ideally you're still in the process of building a superpowered team. You know what I mean? You're still in that process. For Otherwise, sure. we should probably be taking these young stud running backs at the top of our drafts. And this sounds silly, and it's a statement. I have years to go until accountability sets in, Trav. But C.D. Lamb, his floor for Dynasty owners is him having, like, the biggest third-year breakout in the history of fantasy football, right? That's when Michael Gallup becomes a UDFA. Nice. And they will not be able to re-sign him because, you know, they're going to have paid Dak Prescott at that point. So worst case, you wait a couple of years and you have like a, a high end wide receiver on your team. And for the time being, you probably have a wide receiver three or four on your team with spike touchdown upside, big play upside. And then year three, when your team is finally ready to contend for years to come, uh, you should have this bona fide wide receiver one, you know, low end wide receiver two at that point. And really, I think it's a rare situation where we can chase touchdowns a bit. With Witten gone, there's room for somebody to come in and Dak. I mean, the end zone fade drill at the Combine, it was just brutal, right? <laughs> it was just a brutal, brutal practice that they yeah. decided to do. Outside of CeeDee Lamb's miraculous body exactly. contorting catch that made every highlight reel, right? So, you know, a spike touchdown season for CeeDee Lamb could happen via him serving a niche in the red zone, or maybe Lamb does it a la Calvin Ridley in his rookie season, you know, teams yeah. keying in on that wide receiver one in Julio, and Matt Ryan just lets it fly to Ridley, and there's a handful of long touchdowns scored. That's definitely, that upside exists in this Dallas offense, or maybe even does it uh, A.J. Brown style, right? The team progressively, they, they have to get the ball in this guy's hands, and yeah. he can do stuff after the catch, and so I, I just think there's a lot of avenues but uh, one thing I do want to say, and it really hurts, is RIP Tony Tony Pollard being used in the slot. Next yeah, year. yeah, totally. Still, uh, still a very high end handcuff. And you know, actually, it's funny that you mentioned Tony P because I thought about you because I thought you'd be proud because <laughs> I was uh, working on a deal in a draft and I refrained from selling Tony P just because I wasn't getting enough for him, and uh, that was an ode to you, brother. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm definitely falling on Tony Pollard. It hurts so bad. I just really thought that was there, that upside for him to get split out in the slot, like at least, you know, 50, 100 times in a year. Snap. Yeah. Wise, but yeah. Not necessarily. What are you going to do? 
Yep. Yeah. So speaking of Dallas, before we get off, I'm just down the pipe is Andy Dalton signs with no the Cowboys, doubt. which means absolutely nothing. And it's a genius move by the Cowboys, you know, a team predicated on offense and recognizing that you can no longer be in oblivion regarding the backup quarterback position. But I think it's really meaningless for fantasy on the Cowboys front. My first thought when I saw the landing spot for Dalton was about our next winner at the quarterback position, Trav. So what are you saying with Gardner Minshew? What a winner he was. And he keeps winning, really, with every quarterback who doesn't go to Jacksonville. Dude, yeah, you're spot on. It's like uh, it's almost like he's made it through most of the stages of like a quest, and he's just got to face the boss, which is like pre-camp signings, and he's getting totally. pretty close to coming out of that unscathed. Um, we talk about him as a winner, obviously. Yeah, so we're, you know, we're talking about Gardner as a winner, and obviously one of the reasons is that no other quarterbacks have been brought in. Um, there was a little bit of speculation that they might draft somebody high, but I wasn't necessarily sold on that myself. Uh, and then further to that, they brought in LaVisca Chenault, who is, um, I would call him an offensive weapon, because even the Jaguars have already come out and say that they're going to use him in a plethora of different ways. Um, so just adding another talent for Gardner is is really nice. And one like LaVisca, who can do it after the catch, is really nice for Gardner as well well because he doesn't it's maybe a little bit easier targets at times for him or um, a little bit easier ways to scheme up big plays if, they, if they're using LaVisca right so um, I know you were fired up for Gardner winning because I know you got lots of shares of him as well so um, pretty good draft weekend for Gardner the Hardener man yeah absolutely and really good for us yeah Gardner Menchu owners there, there's a few of us for sure oh yeah I am one Another bounty fresh news is the signing of Chris Thompson, hey, which mm-hmm. I think we can save the implications maybe for another day, but safe to say Fournette will not see 100 targets in 2020. Yeah. The Jags will not run him out there for a snap count that only is exceeded by Christian McCaffrey. But, what you know, just like you were mentioning with LaVisca Chanel, Chris Thomas, Chris Thompson, uh, sorry, it's been so long, I forgot the guy's name. <laughs> but, you know, what we do what we do remember is that he's free money for a quarterback when healthy. But yeah. a few players in the NFL are as efficient on a per-touch basis as Chris Thompson. And he reunites with John Gruden, who found his ass in the first place, right? So I, I really like this this signing, actually. And it, it's just another thing that, that helps Gardner Menchu. And staying in the free money for quarterback arena, they drafted him... That guy in the second round, man, LaVisca is that guy. He's a giant Chris Thompson who plays wide receiver, including much, the stigma yeah. of big-time injury concerns that comes along with LaVisca Chenault for sure. Um, but do, do you think, uh, like, who do you think's most affected by LaVisca Chenault coming in? I think probably Didi. Because, yeah, be right. uh, because you know, LaVisca is going to be playing a lot in the slot. He's going to be moving around a bunch. They said they're going to use him at Wildcat a bunch too, but uh, they're going to move him around. And I think a lot of that motion is going to land in the slot, right? And I think that definitely hurts Didi, who had a chance to emerge last year, but didn't necessarily do it. And so obviously it seems like they're looking for other avenues to get that production. And LaVisca definitely could be that. I still think the jury's a little bit out on Didi just because with, with LaVisca's um, injury history, there is an avenue for Didi to continue to get that playing time and I think they're going to have some three wide receiver sets themselves as well it'd be interesting to see who is the second guy on the outside in that but I think Didi has got to be the most affected by by the LaVisca signing and yeah it sounds like you're on the same same train as I am 
Yeah, I mean, if not for injury concerns, I think you mentioned it there. Like, Chenault would be one of my top targets in fantasy. I, yeah. I still have I have a much higher than the consensus rookie ranks. It's a simple risk-reward re- proposition, I think. If if you want to go wide receiver in round two of rookie drafts and you can afford to run the risk, I think Chenault could be more than worth the reward. He's one of those type of players. Where, uh, where do you have him ranked? So I don't sound crazy here. I actually have LaVisca as my wide receiver 10 right now. Um, and I think a lot of that is due to um, just wanting to see Gardner solidified and productive in that starting role. Um, the injury concerns are definitely a big piece of it. And then just wanting to see how he fits into that offense. And so um, I think 10 looking at this wide receiver class is, you know, that's not any sort of slight to LaVisca. It's just the other guys front in front of him are, you know, they have less concerns for me. Well, is he still top 24 overall for you? Uh, yeah, he's at, uh, he is at 17 right now. Yeah, so not, yeah, I still have him, I have him as a top 15 pick in rookie rankings mm-hmm. right now, but, you know, like you said, that, that wide receiver tier, especially near the back when you're talking Mims and those guys, like, it's pretty close for sure, and it's sort of what I said, the risk versus reward theory, and you know, he's falling to the mid-late second rounds, though, so he kind of marks the end of that tier almost. There seems to be about 20 to 25 rookies I just really want on my roster, right? Mm-hmm. Like I said, LSJ, he's a top 15 player for for me right now, yet he goes sort of to the mid to late second rounds right now. So in startups, I, I'd bet he'll be really cheap, and he'll, he'll just be the type of wide receiver I want to target in that range of the draft when... I've already drafted my intended starting wide receiver. Exactly. Right? One one thing I do want to say though is Jacksonville, like always, kind of perplexed with a pick. Like they would have benefited from adding a wide receiver who can actually make a difference in the contested catch arena, which is mm-hmm. something I don't always, you know, I don't argue for that very often because contested catches are overrated and they're hard to predict you know, transferring to the next level, but I'm not sure they added that player for sure in LaVisca Chenault, but in 2019, among all players with 15 plus contested catches on player profiler, three of the four worst contested catch rates were Jaguars wide receivers. Chark had eight receptions on 31 contested catch opportunities. Conley was five for 20 and DD Westbrook was four for 18, a 22% contested catch rate. Um, I just, you know, I can't get over how concerned we have to be for Didi, right? Like, him versus Chenault, it will be very interesting. I think the Jaguars have less than 10% of their market share up for grabs, almost no volume to be had here. So, Chenault's going to eat into Chris Conley, and he will definitely have an impact on Didi Westbrook's value. But do you have any interest, like, do you think this kills players like Chris Conley and my boy Keelan Cole and any other pieces in this passing game? Mm, I'm I'm not necessarily so sure, right? Because I think Chris Conley definitely plays predominantly on the outside. Um, you know, I'm a big big lover of Chris Conley, and I'm not you know necessarily expecting a big season from him or anything. Um, but I think he can still you know be serviceable for real football senses, right? I'm not I'm not starting Chris Conley by any means, and I think he needs an injury in order to really produce. But um, yeah, I think it. Aside from DJ Chark, it's probably not good for anybody, to be honest with you, because I think if LaVisca can stay healthy, he's going to assert himself as somebody that needs to be targeted there, right? Yeah, and that, that's kind of what I was trying to say. I, I couldn't like articulate it, but you, you have to think it's DJ Chark as the outside wide receiver, and we don't know who the slot wide receiver is. We don't know who that third wide receiver is going to be in three wide receiver sets either. Like, D.D. Westbrook just so doesn't profile as an outside wide receiver. So it almost it shapes up like it almost might be Chris Conley and Didi could almost be evaporated. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because and he was so bad last year. Like, keep in mind how productive this offense was. Like Gardner Menchu came in and gave us something we hadn't seen, which was 40 points in PPR from the wide receiver position from the Jaguars. We just hadn't seen no that. Doubt. That was the sixth. That was the sixth most from any wide receiver group in all of uh, fantasy football last year. 
Uh, yet 80% and think about this 80% of wide receivers to see 100 plus targets have managed to be a top 36 wide receiver over the last decade last year DD Westbrook was one of those 20% losers who had 100 targets but wasn't even a wide receiver three for fantasy teams so you know he was incredibly inefficient that's definitely why they did something like go out and make this move with LaVisca Chenault and I think the the safe assumption will be people saying that DD Westbrook kind of starts the season that way but I, I just, I, I really don't like this coaching staff. I don't like the general manager. It's, it's a team on thin ice overall, a perplexing team. So I, I just wouldn't be surprised if LaVisca Chanel gets, gets some action right away while he's healthy. You know what I mean? Totally. Totally. So real quick, Ty, if we want to, do you want to flip back to Gardner a little bit here? What do you think, um, like Gardner's ceiling is as far as fantasy finish? Like, do you think top 12 is in the realm of possibilities or, or maybe a little bit further back than that, obviously? No, I, I think upside is the name of the game with, with him, right? Like, it, it, he's not going to be ranked as anything close to a, a, a quarterback 12. You're not going to have to draft him as anything mm-hmm. close to that, but he has that upside. He has that deep target mentality. He had the number one passer rating when targeting players deep last year, 20-plus yards down the field. Uh, so he, we know he has that gamer mentality. He has to cut down on the turnover-worthy plays, the fumbles, of course, but I, I have a lot of faith in him using his legs as well, being able to add. And, you know, he kind of just has that gunslinger mentality where he's always trying to look downfield even when he's escaping, even when he has bodies attached to him in the pocket while he's escaping. I, I really, really like Gardner Minshew. I think if somebody doesn't, they just weren't watching football last year. For sure, man, for sure. I think uh, I think last year you called him the new Ryan Fitzpatrick, and I think that is like the perfect, perfect comparison because he's going to put the ball up and he's going to get the yards and stuff. We're going to have to live and die with some mistakes, but that's just kind of the player that he is. Um, but he can be pretty productive as well. I mean, you look at the deep passing for Gardner Minshew and he had the sixth best deep ball completion percentage uh, in the NFL last year. And he, you know, he was top 15 in points per game of the quarterbacks that played 10 games. Uh, so, you know, Gardner definitely showed that upside. Like you said, six top 12 finishes there. And then you mentioned that rushing upside. He had 344 rushing yards too. So I think, you know, with more more volume which is definitely expected could come more um, more efficiency or or more production at least right so uh, I'm totally in that kind of top 15 gardener range uh, I'm not ready to put put my flag down and say that he's going to be a top 12 but I definitely think top 15 is is definitely gettable yeah and I, I think he just stands out as a value right and I, I think it's really funny to talk about because he did all this with nobody, right? Like DJ Chark came out of nowhere, good for mm-hmm. him and everything. But behind DJ Chark, it was a mess. I know you love your Chris Conley, but I did not expect <laughs> to see him get over a thousand air yards last year, a dozen no deep doubt. targets and all that. Like, I just really don't think that's going to going to be there for him next year. And then DD Westbrook has so many truthers. He'll still be overvalued for fantasy football. Like we have to get rid of DD Westbrook if we have him in dynasty. And I just, cause he literally could go away if LaVisca becomes the slot wide receiver and basic personnel, right? Like he... DD played over 450 snaps in the slot last year, second most in the NFL. It's over 80% of his time spent in the slot, yet he had less than 500 receiving yards there. That ranked 18th in receiving yards from the slot league-wide. So bring in LaVisca Chenault. Like, I really think they solved half the problem. That's kind of why we had to see such a gunslinger mentality from Gardner Minshew is he didn't have that reliable target who was going to do for anything sure. for him. And so I really think LaVisca Chenault comes in. He is the X factor. The health is the X factor for LaVisca. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think it's important to say he only got half of what he wanted. Like, I, I still want that contested catch guy, which I don't think Chris Connolly is. And because uh, LaVisca Chanel is going to be very dependent on volume for fantasy football. It kind of goes back to that contested catch idea. But LaVisca has zero experience in the red zone, just nine catches in the red zone in Colorado, just one red zone touchdown. And even overall, like LaVisca Chanel is one of the worst touchdown rates in this wide receiver class. It just really wasn't his game. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see 
if Gardner Minshew can put up those touchdown totals, you know what I mean? I think that's the big concern with his sure. upside, but I think what he adds with his legs and kind of his mentality, I think will will go a long way for fantasy. Yeah, I like I like how you put that there. Um, and yeah, that's kind of the tricky part with this Jacksonville offense for me to like just buy into them as a whole. Like I love Gardner Minshew. I like some of the players there and whatnot. Um, but you mentioned the X, X factors. It just seems like there's X factor upon X factor upon X factor with these guys. Um, and, you know, I like the team, just the players that are on there. So I hope they can put it together. Um, and especially for fantasy purposes, obviously, but I still definitely have a little bit of skepticism. Yeah, and, and just going back to the health, some of the quotes were pretty interesting from the the Jaguars brass and their pro, uh, pressers. Uh, like they said, team doctors have a good grade on Chanel, feel good about his health moving forward, all that, all those typical ones you'd expect to see. But Doug, uh, Doug Marone, head coach, he, he said he feels comfortable about playing him in the slot, playing him outside. And it is important to note that LaVisca Chanel did very well against man coverage as well. But they also said, you know, you can put this guy in the backfield, play Wildcat, play him at F tight end. Like, and that's the other thing we should mention with LaVisca Schnault is we will see him in a lot of those gadget plays and everything. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask you, do you have any thoughts on uh, – they also took wide receiver in Colin Johnson. I'm not a fan of his. He's a huge, tall wide receiver, very productive in college, remarkably small wingspan, tiny hands relative to his size. <laughs> But any worries there with your boy Chris Connolly when we when we look at uh, Colin Johnson? We're always talking dick beaters, man. Every episode, dick beaters, <laughs> dick beaters, dick beaters. Um, yeah, well, it's a glove fits, right? <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Well, it might not fit Colin Johnson because he might need that like fucking double XS. <laughs> well, if it doesn't fit, you must quit. Yeah, no doubt. Ladies and gentlemen of this supposed jury, it does not make sense. If Chewbacca lives on indoor, you must acquit. The defense rests. Um, no, I don't see Colin Johnson emerging there. Um, I just think, you know, getting past DJ Chark, Chris Conley um, to try and carve out some snaps, I just don't really see it. And Keelan Cole, obviously, is is super underrated on the outside, underutilized in general. Um, and I don't think Colin Johnson is going to emerge out of that group. So actually, the uh, the rookie, the other rookie that I'm kind of excited for is they picked up James Robinson as a UDFA. And with Leonard Fournette's um, sketchy little situation, uh, I know you talked a little bit about James Robinson coming up to the draft process. And I liked what I saw. And I think, you know, there is a bit of an avenue there for somebody you can get in like the last round of your rookie drafts, too. So just keep an eye on that. Mm-hmm. And we know Leonard Fournette's fallen out of favor real hot there. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's a pretty interesting. I, I think one thing I want to say with the Jaguars for LaVisca Chanel, for Colin Johnson, for anybody you might have truther status for, we need to see it in year one. Like, I do think this whole Jaguars team is still shaky. You know what I mean? For like sure. Dave Caldwell, Doug Marone, those guys are both on the hot seat. They are very much operating with zero foresight. And that is very important to remember for rookies being incorporated into the offense. And with this unique offseason, like rookies are already going to be fighting that so far as learning the playbook, direction, sure. uh, building rapport with the quarterbacks and coordinators and they just won't be able to wow in practices so coaches will kind of lean on what they know you know and if it ain't broken they're not going to fix it you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. totally yeah yeah. i I think the jaguars are they there's that range of outcomes where there's just a shit show you know i mean like the whole team implodes in 2020 Mm -hmm. so that's my that's my honestly my biggest worry with gardner as well is just the team completely falling apart and yeah they're only one implosion from the entire team just getting blown up, right? And then who knows what the hell is going to happen there. So I like how you put that. Well, how's that GM there? You know, we're still uh, fresh off the draft. Like, just look at what that has happened there with these top 10 picks year after year. Like, once Fournette is gone in 2021, we can say zero of this guy's picks have worked out. You know what I mean? It makes you wonder why they would trade Jalen for 
for a bunch of picks, and now Yannick wants out, Yannick and Gawkwe. Mm-hmm. The irony is, with those two picks in the first round this year, the Jaguars could have probably found a way to set themselves up for 2020. Like, if it was me, I would have tried to get my hands on another 2021 first, or even a second, really right. set myself up. So if you need Trevor Lawrence, if you need Justin Fields, I can go get him. No, I'm saying, no, I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, they're going to have to have a shit season if they're going to go out and do that. So, Trav, all right, let's put a lock on the Jags because the biggest winner at the quarterback position, no arguments to be made, inarguably Drew Locke. He has Mm -hmm. to be the biggest winner, right? (laughs) I think so, So, man. Yeah, like what happened in Denver is, to me, not great for fantasy football, though. Like very good for the Broncos' offense, and the big winner is Drew Locke. But even though I I just don't think he's a very good quarterback, and Mm -hmm. I don't think he has the upside to support three, four, five, or 16 weapons, which all of a sudden (laughs) Drew Locke has at his disposal. Yeah, Yeah, really, really good weapons. I mean, you got to give it to John Elway for putting as many pieces he can around his young quarterback, especially one who isn't like a Locke prospect. that didn't even didn't even do that on purpose <laughs> <laughs> or i didn't even get it yet. <laughs> or defense and lineman though like that's the only thing he's ever drafted it's a uh, i, I yeah. give a lot of a lot of credit for for going out and executing this draft for sure for sure for sure and i mean you definitely have to build around your young quarterback and and i'm with you the jury is definitely still out for me on drew lock and i don't necessarily think that there is going to be enough volume to go around for these guys um but to look at a little bit of of the positives like he was throwing deep a little bit last year. Almost 10% of his attempts were deep attempts. And if you look at the top rankers in the league, that's not necessarily near the top. But for like a young quarterback who I don't think was ready to go in, that's pretty good to see that he was kind of trusting his guys to throw it up, especially Cortland Sutton. Um, and then another positive for him is the Pat Shermer effect. Since 2009, as a head coach or an offensive coordinator, Pat Shermer has six seasons inside the top 10 in pass attempts. So um, I'm not necessarily sure that uh, top 10 ranking is pass attempts would breed super good production from drew lock i think it could potentially just expose him further um but it, it is a good Eli sign Manning. for volume right yeah yeah exactly <laughs> right so um but your point is well taken like the they, those numbers are even well having saquon barkley on your team for sure for sure and then so obviously for him it's nice to see that they have you know Cortland sutton noah fant jerry judy kj hamler uh three running backs and so he, he definitely took some lumps in his five games last year. I have a hard time thinking he's fully past the growth stages, but um, he, he's in a good position. We can definitely say that. Yeah, if you drafted Drew Locke in Superflex pre-draft, you are a huge winner because yeah. we knew they were going to get one incumbent, and we were pretty sure it was going to be one of the top three gentlemen, but... Yeah, we didn't see all this coming. For two reasons, though, I think we have to pump the brakes big time on even Corlin Sutton, unfortunately, but Jerry Judy as well and Noah Fant. Right away, I think, because of Drew Locke, the defense, the play calling, see where I kind of differ is I think Denver will be a run-first team. They brought right. in Melvin Gordon. You know, Shermer, you're right. He, he has some influence, but I just think, and they have a stable of backs they'll erroneously want to get involved, but... The other reason, I just think the passing game will be very risk adverse, but I think they'll want to lean on the run, you know, they'll want to control the time o'clock, and I just, I expect a ton of short average depth of targets for Jerry Judy, and even Cortland Sutton, and the best target for Drew Locke could be whoever plays in the slot. He really had very little, you know, last year, and that's why some of those deep attempts, like 10% deep deep attempts, that's not great, but it's a good start when you have just Cortland Sutton, you know, you're throwing it up to, so... 
So he didn't have much to work with outside of Cortland Sutton. You know, Noah Fant at tight end, who had his issues at times as well. And now we get Jerry Judy in the slot over our ex-base, Sean. Jerry mm-hmm. Judy actually ran over 50% of his uh, routes from the slot at Alabama last year. And then not to mention you have KJ Hamler, like you said, one of my favorite prospects. And he was the wide receiver they took in round two that yeah, everybody wants speed. It's pretty funny what we saw in this draft from everybody. Totally. And, he, he sort of is a Hollywood Brown 2.0. He's very tiny, but he plays exclusively out of the slot as an electric speed demon. So I think Corlin Sutton is frustrating because we knew he would incur the wrath of one of these top three wide receivers in this class, right? I almost hoped it would be Ruggs, you know, kind of. Yeah. My point being is Jerry Judy arguably was the wide receiver who would come in and command the most volume, you know what I mean? Now, the too many mouths to feed argument, a lot of times it's a really bad one to make, but in an offense, I think th- this one in particular, it does apply and... Uh, Sutton straight up and Noah Fant, Royce Freeman, like that's all all they had to work with last year. You had Cortland Sutton, Noah Fant, and Royce Freeman. So yeah. you got Melvin Gordon. You have even bigger emphasis placed on the run probably this year. There's Jerry Judy, Noah Fant, and we have KJ Hamler and anybody else who may emerge. So I just think Cortland Sutton, he had no ceiling last year, by the way. Only one guy finished as a top 20 wide receiver last year in fantasy, but had zero weeks as a top five wide receiver, and that was Cortland Sutton. Hmm. I also, I expected him to be comfortably top 10 in metrics like air yards and deep targets, but he, he wasn't. And so, yeah, like Drew Locke is a big, huge winner, but Cortland Sutton, do you think he is a loser? Like, I want to know to what level. Are you trying to sell him at a reduced place, or would, would you use this pocket of time to buy? Because I think it's kind of tough with Cortland Sutton. I don't want him to drop too far. Yeah, I think I'm kind of a firm hold on him. I wouldn't necessarily be trying to sell him just because if you're selling him, somebody's probably going to be trying to play off the fact that they just drafted Jerry Judy, and I'm going to wait to see if that value can come back up a little bit because Cortland Sutton is a great player, and I think um, you know it could be one of those situations where other weapons open it up a little bit more for him. He had a great year last year. I'm not saying he's going to blow the doors off of that season that he had, uh, but I think you know somewhere in that neighborhood again is definitely doable for him. So um, I think you know he's probably in that higher end wide receiver two area for me um but definitely a sketchy one now and i i don't think he's just going to go away necessarily so i wouldn't be selling him cheap and i you know if you can buy him for cheap then that would be that would be definitely a smart decision if, if you're me um but how, where do you sit on that because i know you've been a little bit uh hesitant on Cortland sutton in the past is uh is he fully off the table for you yeah, you're, you know, maybe you're right. I always have been a little bit lower on Cortland Sutton. At least it sucks because I thought this would be the year he, like, he's really coming into his own. There's no doubt about it. You know, he's coming into his own as one of those last alpha wide receivers for a team. Unfortunately, he's attached to a quarterback I don't think can support a handful of weapons. And I don't think Cortland Sutton is quite on the Kenny Galladay level, you know? Yeah, where, I see you. I see that, yeah. I, I think he's very close, though. Like, I think it's very, very close. I just think... There's something about him where I think it's also the Jerry Judy factor, right? Like it really does affect his value for me, but it's also the fact you're getting a KJ Hamler. I just think the problem with me is I still have him high in my rankings, but he feels like a guy I'll just pass on, you know, even I'm ready to take players like Terry McLaurin and Tyler Boyd. Uh, full round later who I think they're going to score a very similar amount of fantasy points Hmm. you know I think the difference could be less than like a point per game so I also think there's a there's just a lot to sift through so far as where everybody plays because he's going to see no snaps in the slot this year and the concerns we see a run heavy team in Denver and the big shots off play action could even go to KJ Hamler so I worry about Sutton having absolutely no ceiling I worry about his volume going down a tad or at least it won't be as remarkably consistent, you know, on a week-to-week basis like like it was last year. And I also worry about Noah Fant, too, right? Like, 
I think we should talk a little bit about. Yeah, North that's who I'm so, worried about, man. Yeah, like the sophomore step was hard, hard to get on board with when we assumed it was just going to be like a Jerry Judy or a Henry Ruggs coming in. But you know, there's an additional problem that's popped up here, and the Broncos uh, they ended up using a draft on some people's tight end one in this class, and for fantasy purposes, mm-hmm. he was my tight end one leading up, and that's Albert uh, Albert O. And it's just really weird because Fant he stood out to see. I thought he would have seen more slot duties because of how bad Bashan was last mm-hmm. year and all that, but he really didn't, and he didn't excel when he was in the slot at all. So he was 23rd among tight ends, and he was he just caught five catches on 12 targets in the slot last year. So, you know, the other thing we should mention is Albert O is the tight end Denver, Denver selected. He's Drew Locke's boy. He had his best season in Good college uh, under Drew Locke. So, you know, Trav, what, this has to move Fant down our, down our boards, but... You know, I've I've been very steadfast Fant over Hawkinson for fantasy, but I'm afraid I am Hawk over Fant now. Uh, are you oh, there as yeah. well? And is is Fant even moving down your dynasty rankings significantly? Maybe a little bit. I think it, this is a really hard one. I haven't gone too hard into those two, and I think I would probably lean a little bit Hawk now, uh, just because they they didn't add any huge pieces necessarily no. over in Detroit, and this definitely hurts Noah Fant and his ability to produce out of the slot. Uh, I do think that Noah Fant can take any play to the house. You know, like he he will be saved some weeks by by those big plays, but I think that's just it is the some weeks factor, right? I think he's gonna he's gonna blow up in certain weeks and. He's going to give you dog shit for a couple weeks consecutively after that, potentially. So it's a little bit sketchy. It sucks. I, I have some teams where I drafted him as my number one tight end and a little bit worried about that. And, you know, I, I'm definitely fading him a little bit, but I think his talent is super strong, especially as predominantly a receiver. Uh, so we kind of know what he's going to do. And um, if Denver's going to use him, they're, they're going to have to use him as one of those big basketball players, right? Yeah, and, and it's unfortunate because it doesn't really align with the skill set. Like, he's an after-the-catch guy and an mm. electric receiver, but he also, he struggled with drops and things like that last year, so I think he's going to he's gonna really have a hard time when it comes to development in 2020. I think it's really unfair almost, but, you know, because he's a guy really, uh, also a profile player with what he did in his rookie season, a profile player I'd be buying like crazy going into their sophomore season at the tight end position, but... You know, it's just I really dislike the situation. I think it really stems for, you know, maybe we should talk a little Jerry Judy. He's the exciting guy, and he's the one who comes in. Uh, most A lot of people's wide receiver one heading into drafts, a lot for of people's sure. fantasy wide receiver one. But do you think he's going to play, ex- like, more in the slot? Do you think if I say 50% of his snaps are in the slot, are you taking over or under? Um, I'm probably going to take the over just because this offense yeah. is kind of starved for that at the wide receiver position. I think he's going to move around a little bit because I think he can play outside with his route running capabilities, but I think he's just going to be so good for them in the slot and taking those short targets for, for a quarterback who really needs a safety blanket, right? I don't think Drew Locke's going to be putting this team on his back and taking them to the promised land, right? I think he's going to need the guys around him to help elevate him. And Jerry Judy is the type of player that can do that. And if he's going to do that, he's going to need to be playing out of the slot because that's where he's the most dynamic so i think i think 50 is pretty safe actually big number but i think he's definitely going to get that yeah i i may i'm making all my over unders i'm giving you a super tough like they're mm-hmm. actually like what i'm pretty much projecting them for like say and but we know projections are always a safer than sorry sort of you know a medium range of outcomes but i saw a post-draft quote on the broncos official website where nick saban said jerry judy is the most dangerous when playing from the slot what what I think is statistically it's actually super impressive that his efficiency it doesn't change much whether you look at his stats from the slot or the perimeter even though almost all wide receivers are usually more efficient in the slot once you know that's usually synonymous with escaping man mm-hmm. coverage so I, I think 
we do see a ton of Judy in the slot. If we look at last year, Bashan, uh, my Bashan, poor guy. I just can't get Dude, over. Dude, yeah, rest in peace, How Bashan. much he failed me last year. But he played over 300 snaps in the slot. The next highest was Noah Fant, Cortland Sutton. Very, you know, they were right around 100 snot, uh, snaps out of the slot. And because of the weapons, because Fant failed to show any flashes when he was deployed off the line, I just think we'll see Judy play a lot of snaps from the slot. I think KJ Hamler could play all of his snaps from the mm-hmm. slot, which will limit his snaps, obviously. And those two, I think, could really have a, mon- a monopoly there. Like, you know, like Sutton and Fant, they might not even hit the 100 snaps from the slot mark. And even somebody like Philip Lindsay, who was split out wide like about 20 times, like that's just going to evaporate for sure. And we won't see that from Melvin Gordon. But, um,. If, if we know that, so we're assuming he's going to see a lot of short average depth of the target. So if I set his over-under for Jerry Judy for targets at 80 in 2020, you'd take in the over-under there. Because you were pretty quick like... to take the over on C.D. Lamb, which surprised me. I think I'm hammering the Jerry Judy over at 80 targets. Really? The over? I was thinking like that's right in push territory for me. Um, yeah, and I think that's where I'm to see the over. Yeah. And that's why I think I'm different with like a little bit of Cortland Sutton vibe, a little bit of Noah fan. Like I think I'm a little lower on these guys because I think Jerry Judy will push that like 90 target range easily. Right, right. Well, that would be really sick to see because I think, um, you know, if, if I was in that mindset, I probably would have Jerry Judy maybe maybe in that number two spot. I actually have Jalen Rager in the number two spot for my wide receivers and I have Jerry Judy at three. So uh, maybe this transitions mm-hmm. into to a little bit of rank talk there. But um, I think if I if I knew that he was going to be getting those 80, 90 targets, I would be all aboard the Jerry Judy at wide receiver two. But it's just the other guys there and not necessarily knowing uh, who Drew Locke's going to lock into is... <laughs> <laughs> it happened again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I I've got Jerry Judy lock at three up. right now. Yeah, just just lock it up, Trav. Just lock, it, lock it the up. fuck up. Um, <laughs> Ty, Ty, where do you have Jerry Judy? Yeah, Jerry Judy's my wide receiver too, and right. you know I think he's gonna see. I I'll put it this way: I have a lot more faith projecting fifty catches for Jerry Judy, just the way he profiles as a wide receiver, mm. really, and you know how I can assure he'll be deployed. You know what I mean? Whereas Dallas, it's definitely speculation at this point how for sure CD Lamb's gonna be deployed. So. I think 50 catches is almost guaranteed for Jerry Judy, in my opinion. But where I kind of fall out of favor with him when it comes to 2020 is I think those touchdowns are going to be really hard to come by. And I, I think this whole offense just sucks now because what he won't have, what C.D. Lamb has a far better probability to do compared to him is have that spike touchdown season, yeah. right? Jerry Judy's on an offense that will look Sutton's way in the pass game in the red zone and run the ball a ton when they get close totally. as well. And Judy, he was never coming to a team to provide like an excellent target in the red zone. I think he has the potential to be an elite wide receiver just looking at his college stats. Like Jerry Judy was over 17 yards per reception, 100 plus catches. Only three wide receivers in this class could say that. Like he was very productive on a ton of volume. But overall, he didn't score at a great rate. Only 15% of his catches at Alabama went for a touchdown. You'd expect a little more when he played in that offense. And then you look in the red zone, he had almost 25 red zone receptions, quite a bit, top five in this class. But he scored on just under 45% of them. Among 41 wide receivers in this class with 10-plus red zone receptions, Judy scoring on 43.5% of his catches actually ranks 33rd out of 41. So, And remember, it's a spectacular offense, and that's much less than someone like Henry Ruggs. So it's it's pretty interesting. I didn't realize we were going to have to compare Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy until like <laughs> the last minute. You know what I mean? I thought it was kind of a, non, a non-issue, but... What surprised me is that Ruggs was more efficient in the red zone, but Jerry Judy, he had 73 catches of 15-plus yards at Alabama, just off the charts. But he had a higher percent of his catches go for 15-plus yards than his teammate Henry Ruggs. So I thought that was really interesting. That is. And 
he he just does a lot of the same things that we get big eyes for CD Lamb, right? Like Jerry Judy, he's so young, you know, he just comes in so polished and so young and he accomplished so much at a young age in the SEC that it's so hard to not see these guys translating to the NFL, right? Mm-hmm. And I do think Jerry Judy has that aspect to his game where he can do it all as well, right? Like he he's good at going deep and he can kill after the catch playing out of the slot. So there's, there's a lot of upside with him. I just think this offense kind of hamstrings him. But I think that he's going to have such a good floor. You know what I mean? That's my whole point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. I, I definitely like that. And I, uh, you know, maybe maybe I need to look a little bit more into uh, into what I think about Jerry Judy's season one. Um, and maybe I'm overestimating what, uh, what CD is going to do over in Dallas out of the slot. But I definitely like that. And you got me kind of rethinking, rethinking the Jerry Judy ranking at three as well. So um yeah it's it's going to be an interesting one to watch for sure because there are a lot of pieces that people want to buy into fantasy and um it all comes back to drew lock man yeah well i i totally agree with you and i don't think you're low on jerry judy i think jerry judy is shaping up to be that really difficult guy to rank right we Mm -hmm. really loved him going into the pre-draft process i just think it's going to be a safe kind of pick you know what i mean i don't think you're getting a huge upside and uh, I mean, he's my wide receiver too, but the, the, you know, you have Henry Ruggs, you have Jalen Rager. These guys are all close and you know, I love Brendan Ayuk. And yeah. Honestly, I cannot think of a debate with more points of view and rabbit holes to go down than something like Jerry Judy versus Keyshawn Vaughn at eight overall in a rookie draft. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this just just this rookie class is just so crazy because it doesn't really seem to be like there's any sort of consensus whatsoever. Like guys are going you know, between the 105 and the 205, you know what I mean? There's not that um, small range of, of draft capital that guys are spending. It's just all over the place. And uh, I'm in a bunch of rookie drafts right now, and it is so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Trav, one of those guys who was going in that exact range, he went to your boys, the Eagles, Woo! and somebody who, you know, the value, the market, the ADP, it already suggested that he was going to be a post-draft NFL winner in the fantasy realm, but Carson Wentz is a big winner. But I want to know, I want to ask you right off the bat as an Eagles fan, what do you think about the Jalen Rager pick? I like it, man. I really, really like it. I was bummed that the Cowboys got uh, CD Lamb at 17, um, but the Eagles, um, they found a way to pick me up when they made the pick at 21. I love Jalen Rager going in. Uh, I think, you know, it would have been really nice to have that, you know, bona fide alpha that CD can be, I think. Jalen Rager's a little bit different, right? I don't think he fits the mold of that quote-unquote alpha wide receiver, but early in the season last year, we saw what Carson Wentz can do with a speed threat like Deshaun Jackson, and I think Jalen Rager can do a lot of what Deshaun Jackson does and potentially do a little bit more, right? He's he's actually surprisingly good for his size in the contested catch area. Uh, so that's really nice. He's going to be used in a lot of different ways. He's going to be he's going to be put in motion quite a bit, which I think is super, super exciting because that those defenses are going to be right on their toes. Um, but yeah, I, I was excited for the pick as a Birds fan, man. Oh, buddy, I loved it. I won some money because I took the over on Justin Jefferson at 21 and a half. I Ooh, called that all the way, yeah. just pat myself on the back. No I doubt, take a fights. lap. Yeah, well, I fought some <laughs> fights on the Justin Jefferson uh, Oh, I'm sure. And Howie Roseman made it abundantly clear, saying exactly what I was saying at the presser too, saying bluntly the difference was vertical separation on the outside. That's mm-hmm. why he took Jalen, uh, Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson. Doug Peterson didn't say much about the pick, just that he has two thresholds. I thought it was an interesting statement. He said, can a wide receiver run the go route? Can they run the slant? And he said, Jalen can do both. So, mm-hmm. 
That seems kind of simple there, Dougie. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. He's he's really shaping into a, a Bill Belichick though. He he doesn't love uh, the media as much as he he did. I love Doug Peterson, man. He's just oh, me like, too. Me too. This is awesome. <laughs> greatest backup in history. So, Trav, how do you think all this shakes out? Is is Jalen Rager like immediately the wide receiver one? Do you think Alshon? Uh, Jay Jaw, who's going to go into the slot here? What do you what do you think happens? Either way, do you think we're going to see a ton of two tight end sets? And you know, we also have to mention the Eagles drafted two more speed demons, my boy John Hightower and Quez Watkins. So, Quiz. <laughs> so yeah, what do you think? Yeah. Is it Jalen wide receiver one who goes in the slot, or is this whole thing a gobbledygook? I think I think for year one, it might be a bit of a gobbledygook to to be to be frank about it. I think it's a little do premature to to just anoint him as the wide receiver one with all those other guys there, especially because the wide receiver one on Philly is two tight end sets, right? So um, I expect them to still be, still be among the tops in the league in two tight end sets. They ran them on 50% of the plays last year, which is just wild. The Vikings were even up there just under 50, which is a huge number as well. But the Eagles just decided half of their plays, they were going two tight ends and they had to, which, which definitely worked well for them, I guess. But um it's really hard for me to say that he's going to come in and smash and get near a thousand yards and you know 75 catches or whatever it's hard to say that just because Deshaun Jackson is still there Alshon Jeffrey unfortunately is still there and um I don't know. It's hard to say that, that they're going to just put him in there and give it to him, especially because last year they, they did not give JJ Ortega Whiteside any opportunity to seize that role. They just, they just doghoused him right after he dropped a pass. Um, and so I hope, you know, obviously that's not going to happen to Jalen Rager being a first round pick, but I think it could be <laughs> year two that he really kind of explodes. Yeah. I thought you were talking about won't, won't happen. Jalen Rager dropping passes. Cause that will happen. Oh no, we that's, love, that's going to happen. Jalen Rager. <laughs> yeah. I just think um, they're, they'll probably stick it out with Jalen a little bit longer, maybe exactly. than Jaw. Yeah. That's what, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I take back my, my burst into laughter. Um, <laughs> is it outlandish Trav to think Zach Ertz and Miles Sanders are like one and two in targets on, on this team in 2020? Do you think that's I don't crazy? think so. I don't think I know, so at right? all because Zach Ertz is, pretty much like guaranteed to be their most targeted player and um you know miles sanders got a lot of targets last year and the wide receiver targets to me look like they're going to get spread around quite a bit so i i think that's a really good call man and um that's part of the reason why i'm buying into miles sanders but that's obviously a uh question or a conversation for another day um but i think you're spot on with that buddy what's that i have miles sanders as one of my winners for sure yeah, for sure. I, I think when we get, get into the running catch. back winners, we're definitely going to hit some miles. Um, but yeah, sticking with these guys, do you, uh, I guess you probably think that's definitely going to happen for them, eh? Yeah, I definitely think they're the the leading candidates. I, mm-hmm. I'll put it this way. Zach Ertz is by far 100% going to lead this team in targets and catches. He's the George Kittle in this offense right now, to be honest. Like that's the best way to kind of uh you know peg him for fantasy because we're only two seasons removed from him setting the nfl record for the most catches by a tight end right so it's not outlandish and we know this offense wouldn't mind throwing the ball a bunch so Uh, i think it's it's very attractive spot but i think for jalen rager it's it beyond sacker it's basically it's pretty difficult to say like miles sanders is in the running you have dallas goddard in the running with all the you know 12 personnel we're gonna see Mm -hmm. and then jalen rager is there i guess but what i think is he is no better than 
an argument's sake against Miles Sanders and Dallas Goddard at this point for 2020. I think people, there's just been no wide receiver being drafted in the single digits for the Philadelphia Eagles all offseason, right? Like there's been no wide receiver sure. of any value in drafts. So I think people are just doing it. They're overdoing it with Jalen Rager right now. He just mm-hmm. went in the eighth or ninth round of a best ball I did yesterday. Holy I was really surprised shit. by that. And I think... I think the wide receiver position, it improves. They were the second least fruitful wide receiver group in fantasy last year. Only the Ravens wide receivers combined for fewer points in PPR. So 24 points per game is definitely going to go up for the Eagles when it comes Mm -hmm. to the wide receiver position. But before getting into anything really with the Eagles last year, we were warning folks about both Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson's durability. What What do you see happening there? Like, are they both gone, both stay? I think it's weird. I've almost done like a complete 180. A month ago, I thought it was like be gone Alshon. But now the way they attacked the position in the draft with all the speed, what what do you think? What do you think now? Am I uh, something there? It's interesting. I think D-Jack stays. Um, and Alshon, it, it's really hard to say. Like if somebody's going to, gonna trade for him and give them something you know decent that's maybe a little bit more than a bag of pucks but i don't think they're necessarily going to get that trade and i don't think they're going to release him outright because they would have to be paying him a shitload with that Mm -hmm. stupid stupid restructuring that they just did this past year so um that's on you howie (laughs) but i think alshon could be there and i think those two just make it a little bit frustrating right um i wouldn't be opposed to them dropping those guys and going with jalen rager uh jj ortega whiteside as two of their main targets and just letting carson wentz grow with these guys i mean he got them to the playoffs last year without having any wide receivers so you toss greg ward in the slot put jalen rager and jay jaw on the outside sure it's not like anything bona fide there but it's guys that that carson wentz can grow with and to be honest it's a better wide receiver corpse than they were trotting out at the end of last year so i think those guys are just kind of progress stoppers i love djax don't get me wrong i love djax that's like the heyday of my eagles fandom is when djax was just clowning fools but at the same time, I think he's just going to stop the progress, especially for Jalen Rager, because that's kind of the role that they want him to play. But uh, I don't know. I think it's that's kind of part of why why I think it's going to be frustrating for this year. But I think after this year, those guys are gone and uh, it's going to be wheels up. Yeah, I, you're right. It's just one of those things that factors in. And I think a big thing that separates Jalen Rager from these elite wide receivers in this wide receiver class is not the age. He's also one of these guys who's 21 years old in his rookie NFL season, Jalen Rager. But he doesn't have the same polish, right? He's much more raw, mm-hmm. and he's got a lot more sort of, uh, you know, hands concerns and things like that. And uh, I just think when it comes to Jalen Rager, it's just easier for someone like Doug Peterson to just give the targets to Dallas Goddard or to give them to Miles Sanders in year one. And, you know, we'll say it a lot this offseason about how unique it is in existing head coaches. They're going to lean on the players they're used to. And for the record, Doug Peterson is the only returning head coach in the NFC East. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what they did is they likeed the tight end position last year. It's easy to forget, but last year Philadelphia threw to the tight end position 234 times. That was the second most by anybody in this millennium, actually. Ooh, so what's, like what's your verdict? <laughs> Um, so what's your verdict here, Trav? Because Wentz has been going in the single digit rounds quite a bit. Like this, this draft probably ensures that status. Like he's going to be a single digit, like a ninth round pick. So are you buying Wentz there? Do you want Wentz, Matt Ryan? Where, where do you see Carson Wentz? Well, I'm, I'm, I might be a little bit biased, but uh, I'm definitely could see myself going Carson Wentz in the ninth round. If I've built a good core, I could definitely go that route. Um, but I could also easily see myself passing up on him and taking one of those 10th, 11th round guys like a Matt Ryan, Matt Stafford kind of thing, just depending on the team that I built in front of that quarterback. So I guess for me, it's a little bit team dependent. And it's funny that you, you say that with Carson Wentz's value, because 
I'm not necessarily sure that the additions of these web weapons boost his value in a say rankings for for like dynasty perspective. I think it's more we just wanted to see some competent receivers for him to throw to. Um, but when I looked at my rankings, it's like it's really hard to get him up higher any higher than like seventh and that's where i had him beforehand and I, it didn't raise his rushing. ranking for me um but i i think it, it you know it raises the excitement around him and what he can do as somebody who i think um you know eagles bias aside i think carson wentz is an elite talent in the nfl yeah and like i don't put much stock in like the the durability or anything like that I, mm-hmm. the one thing i have a concern with is just the 2020 season for wentz for redraft i'm definitely with you on the on the dynasty front i think much like uh, Jalen Rager, for instance, I think 2021 might be the might be the year for Carson Wentz to have mm-hmm. that top five, top 10 season because we know he doesn't add that 500 yards rushing or those five rushing touchdowns, right? He's, he's more uh, 100, 200 yard rushing guys. Yeah. So I think that's one thing that caps him. But the other thing is the lack of like a, a dynamic touchdown score in this offense still. I think they're still missing one piece, but... I also think that with Doug Peterson, one thing we love to to talk about Doug Peterson is his scheming and play calling. So I think there's a lot of room for him to continue to grow with his coaching staff while he's finally, you know, playing games uh, steadily. Yeah, so, no doubt. Uh, that, that, that'll go a long way. And I think what I'm trying to get at is I want to see a lot of versatility and creative usage for these new weapons like Jalen Rager, John Hightower. You know, I love yeah, this dude. guy. They are... Those guys are both dangerous in the rushing department, man. They could be used in pre-snap motion like crazy, moved around. Hopefully a different element to this offense kind of unfolds. And I just don't know if that's going to be 2020 or 2021. You know what I mean? And that that should go a long way also to opening up that deep shot in Jalen Rager's upside is definitely going to be going to be tied to that. Like he he we want him as that guy because I I was more asking, is he the wide receiver one? There really isn't going to be a wide receiver one in this offense in 2020, but there's going to be a guy in there in 12 personnel. You know what I mean? So Mm who is going to be that outside wide receiver in 12 personnel? Because that's the guy who's going to get the deep shots off play action. And that's where a lot of the upside for fantasy, or at least the spiked weeks is going to come from. And that might be the only place they come from in, uh, in 2020, even though, like you said, better for real life football might still be a little bit underwhelming or overvalued just for this season when it comes mm-hmm. to uh to fantasy what what do you think of any of these other guys like are, are we forgetting some of these ancillary pieces or is it just one of those things where we're alshon jeffrey and you know djax they're still there so it's hard to kind of quantify what john hightower quest Watkins might contribute to yeah yeah i think it's just it's just muddy right and it's not um I think aside from the tight ends and Jalen Rager, they're, they're not guys I'm going to be, really be targeting. Um, I think they're going to be there and they're going to be frustrating. Uh, and like you said, next year is probably going to be the year where we learn a little bit more. Uh, I think we learned some about Jalen Rager this year, but I think, like you said, with Hightower and Quez Watkins, it's going to take a bit because um, regardless of how they're playing, I think the veteran status will get those other guys play time. Uh, it, it's frustrating, but it's just kind of, they, they probably do this, the little things a little bit better, right? Like they, they've been pros for a while. Um, you know, the blocking aspect and other things like that, they may just have a better grasp on. So that's partially why they might get the playing time. But um, yeah, I think, you know, those guys aren't going to be guys that I want to own. Essentially, I'm playing the long game with this offense. Yeah, and I, we really it's going to suck with no offseason, right? Because we want to know if it's going to be gadget plays, if it's going to be manufactured touches for Jalen Rager or if he's getting deep shots like I just want to know and it's going to be really hard to glean that kind of information I think this offseason especially we're not going to know if they're going to target the tight end position 250 fucking times until the season starts you know what I mean like yeah. it, 
it's going to be a really tough team to to try and predict. But I I want pieces of these guys long term. You're you're definitely right there. Okay, Ty. So we we always talk a lot about my birds. You want to move on to the next one here? Sure. Yeah. All right. So the next one we're going to talk about is uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. He got another yak machine in your boy Brandon Ayuk. Um, yeah. So I mean, I personally love it for real football. Um, I still have a little bit, a little bit of that to unpack for fantasy football. But what do you think the Ayuk effect is on uh, on Jimmy Garoppolo, Ty? Yeah, Garoppolo is hard because is he on the map in one quarterback leagues as a starter? Not for me. I mean, is he yeah. possibly a buy in Superflex? Maybe. Uh, I'm definitely happy for the guy, even though some are not. I think getting a wide like a lot of people were expecting kind of a more dynamic wide receiver to be added to this offense. I think getting a wide receiver who is an absolute scheme dream and a tendency tickler for Jimmy Garoppolo like that's a better <laughs> output. You know what I mean? Like he's he just that fits hot. so perfectly. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> came out wrong. Okay. But it's just a, it's a better outcome than getting a wide receiver who could rely on deep targets to reach their ceiling. It's better for everybody involved. So instead, I think Garoppolo gets one of the best friends a wide receiver could ask for, you know, in, a, in, a, in Brennan Ayuk. Now his handsomeness, he has three weapons that are next to impossible to tackle, and they are going to dominate teams in time of possession. Like uh, San Francisco is going to have the ball the entire game. Um, what, what are you saying for the value of everybody? Like Jimmy Garoppolo, he's a tough guy to quantify. Like you might want to buy him in two quarterback leagues. You might want to sell him, you know, I don't know, but he's not going to be a quarterback one because of the way this offense is going to operate. Exactly. But what do you think? What do you think this does for the value of somebody like George Kittle or Debo Samuel now? Um, I think, yeah, no doubt, man. I think Kittle is solid. I think Kittle's going to be solidified in that role just because he does so many things well and uh, he's such a big threat over the middle of the field for me it's it's the Debo it's Debo who's affected the most um, I, I am a little bit worried about that Debo ceiling everybody's drafting Debo as their wide receiver too confidently right now and I'm not necessarily that sure man last year um, when Debo had a competent wide receiver across from him Emmanuel Sanders Debo was the wide receiver nine um, but I think with when you bring in Brandon Ayuk, he does a ton of the same stuff that Debo does, and he might do a some stuff better, to be honest. Um, so I think he's definitely going to take some targets directly from Debo, and I'm a little bit worried about people people drafting Debo as that confident, strong wide receiver too. Uh, who who do you think it affects as far as those pass catching weapons? Do you think you see him eating into Kittle and Debo's work at all? Well, I think it's interesting. I mean, they prioritize Brennan Ayuk much more so than they did Debo last year, right? That tells me they see mm. Ayuk as a guy who can kind of do more than just play as a slot wide receiver and make people miss after the catch, which is kind of what I was preaching, saying I would take Ayuk in round one as, a, as an NFL draft uh, GM, you know? Another so lap I, I for you, buddy. I'm just keeping yeah, <laughs> going Terry Fox run here. So I, I love, uh, <laughs> give me a stamp. No cheating. Uh, yeah. Remember, yeah, there's always that kid like, what are you doing? We could all see you crossing the field. What are you doing? Um, <laughs> That's bullshit. So I, and then he'd run around like, look how many steps I got. No yeah, doubt. Right? So I love what San Francisco did here. And just, just to pause, they lost Joe Staley. They lose Emmanuel Sanders and DeForest Buckner from the NSV championship roster they had last year. They went out and acquired Trent Williams at left tackle Damn. for cheap. Yeah, and they added Javon Kinlaw, who I almost so like more good. than Derek Brown. I think Kinlaw is huge upside, and him realizing it in this environment, man, I am in on Javon Kinlaw. For sure. And they replace Emmanuel Sanders with Brendan Ayuk. And another reason I loved Ayuk was he is built like a weirdo, and his wingspan and catch radius <laughs> is just off the charts, and it's reminiscent of outliers like Steve Smith Sr. and Emmanuel Sanders himself. So. And I'm talking freakish wide receivers who are six feet tall or less with wingspans that are bigger than six foot five Colin Johnson who went to Yeah, the biggest yeah, in the so. class, wasn't it? 
It, it might be it might be yeah. the biggest of anybody who got drafted you know what i mean That's i know dope. that he wasn't quite the biggest in the class but it was for anybody who was gonna have any uh draft capital of any substance and if i sound off my rocker don't even take my word for it take the 49ers actions that speak louder than any words right with very little draft capital and multiple first round picks right we thought they would trade out of the back end of round one with that pick instead they traded up to get Brennan mm-hmm. Ayuk. and if you want take the 49ers brass word on the Ayuk subject they said their intel showed Ayuk would not get to 31, and if that isn't a Bull Durham quote for the masses, Shanahan also said Ayuk was their number one wide receiver on the board. He was also considered at 13 overall. And uh, even though if you read between the lines on that last one, he actually made it pretty clear that CeeDee Lamb was was his wide receiver one. Yeah. <laughs> but where if you were shaking your head when I compared Ayuk to the guy he somewhat compares to physically in Emmanuel Sanders, well, Shanahan went that far himself. He talked up the fact that getting Emmanuel Sanders last year was getting a guy who did everything and saying, you know, basically went as far to say is you don't have to put him in on this play, put him in on that play. He's just a down in and down out receiver. Mm-hmm. And he finished by saying boner time here. Shanahan finished by saying that's <laughs> what he thinks they're getting with Brendan Ayuk. And that's then end beautiful. quote or drop, mic drop. So Trav, where, where do you have... Ayuk in your rookie rankings. It's too low. Brandon, uh, yeah, I have him <laughs> as my wide receiver five right now. Okay, cool. Yeah, so he is just behind uh, Ray or behind Ceedee Lamb, Reger, Judy, and they got Rugs one spot ahead of Brian, Brandon Ayuk, who is one spot ahead of T Higgins. Very nice. Yeah, he's my wide receiver three, my eighth overall player. And if I'm at the back end around one for value sake, would I take, you know, Henry Ruggs or Jalen Rager, run the risk of not getting Ayuk on the way back? Well, absolutely not. Give me Brendan Ayuk all day, every day. But you don't um, have to, man. That's the that's no. the beauty of it is that you don't no, have do to it in because drafts, you will. Man. And you'll regret it the one draft that you think that and you don't do it. Do it. Take him at 10. <laughs> take him at 11. Don't take him at 13. Don't take him at 14. Trust me. I like it. I definitely um, love that you're so steadfast in that. But that's no, just I, kind I, of a little piece of it. I saw Brandon Ayuk go at 210 in a draft today. Yeah, but I think these are like sleeper apps and stuff where the ADP is just all over the place. Like, mm-hmm. where, where I'm telling you, this guy is going up and he's going in like the 13th round of best ball drafts right now. So, you know, he has some value for 2020. Which what I I'm think trying is a to say is he's a value in rookie yeah, drafts big definitely. time right now. <laughs> Yeah, but do you think Debo Samuel's a value all of a sudden? Because I'm hearing this is going to hurt his value a lot. Mm, I don't know. Like, I, I think a lot of people are still going to be just super hyped up on him and drafting him higher than I'm willing to. Uh, I, I'd like to see the value come down a little bit for me to be able to buy in, but I haven't seen people come off of him too, too hard necessarily. Yeah, see, I don't think Debo is hurt that much. We saw this offense kind of take liftoff once Emmanuel Sanders came to the Bay Area. Like, weeks 1-7 to seven last year, there was just three teams who ran the ball more than they passed. The Ravens, the Vikings, and then way down was the San Francisco 49ers, running the ball 57% of the time. Running the ball 57% of the time would have made them basically the most run-heavy team in the history of the mm-hmm. NFL. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, long story short, the last 10 games, that 10-game sample size of 44% run, 56% pass, that sounds about right in the this run-heavy scheme even. And my whole point is, Debo, he should be fine. He was better with Emmanuel Sanders in, in the lineup. And possibly some of that is a rookie coming into his own during during the rookie season. But Debo being an older prospect whose top quality was after the catch ability and NFL readiness, like I, I just don't really subscribe to that very much. So Debo was the wide receiver 78 in PPR under 8 points per game before the Emmanuel Sanders trade. And he was up over 15 points per game mm-hmm. in the top 10 wide receiver in PPR afterwards, as you mentioned. So... 
You know, and Emmanuel Sanders was the wide receiver 36 through that stretch sure. at 11 points per game. And really, that's not the worst expectations, right? Like scaling back Debo to the wide receiver two territory for sure. But for 2020, he should still be the league dog behind George Kittle, of course. And my point with Ayuk and his versatility, I think long term, these values could flip entirely. Exactly. But yeah, if, the, if there was any concern about Kittle, by the way, while Debo was the wide receiver one, Manny Sanders was a back end wide receiver three. Kittle put up 18 points per game over the final 10 games. He was the tight end one overall in points per mm-hmm. game in that stretch. Um, so I, I really, I don't mind Debo. I think there's some odd ways to spot regression with Debo Samuel, like inconsistencies, like he wasn't as consistent as people make him out to be. He failed to hit 50 yards receiving in two thirds of his games. Players like DK Metcalf, Terry McLaurin, Deontay Johnson, Preston Williams, AJ Brown, Darius Slay, uh, Slayton, all these guys <laughs> did it at a higher rate than Debo Samuel, which is pretty surprising. And then For looking sure. at the rushing production, I mean, Debo had like 35 fantasy points in the running game, so mm-hmm. he's, he's not going to have three touchdowns. I, as much as I like Konami code wide receivers, it's just we we can't we can't expect that. But do you, I just want to know: Do you think he's going to have to? Do you think so? You're saying that you still think people are high on him, and you're saying you think he still is a top 60 pick, probably when all said and done. Um, probably, probably. I think there's a lot of people that just think he is going to grab that, uh, grab that workload and just keep it. Um, I, you know, I just think, you know, like you said, Debo was the wide receiver nine after Manuel Sanders came and Emmanuel Sanders was the wide receiver 36. I think over time, like you said, these values are going to flop and that could level out for both of them, right? Like where, where none of them are a top 10 wide receiver, but both of them are top like 24 wide receivers. Right. And, uh, I just think for me, I'm, I'm playing a little bit longer down the road and seeing that maybe Debo has another year of being the lead dog as far as wideouts. And then I think Ayuk has all of the tools and Shani in his corner to, to kind of take that number one wide receiver role, um, which I don't think we're necessarily sure yet how lucrative that can be in San Francisco. Yeah, and I, I think that's part of my point. Like, I don't think we've seen what Shanahan exactly wants to do in San Francisco yet. I know it's been a million years already, but he really hasn't had the tools to really roll out anything mm-hmm. exciting on offense. So I think that remains to be seen. But what, would you want to do a super quick either or? I have three or four guys I wanted to ask you on with Debo. Let's do it. So Debo or Devontae Parker? <sighs> Devontae Parker. Okay, are we talking 21 or are we talking 2020 or Dynasty? Uh, 2020. Okay, yeah, Devontae Parker. DJ Chark or Debo? DJ Chark. What about Stefan Diggs or Debo? <sighs> That's an ugly one, dude. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, I probably take Diggs there. Fuck yeah, I think I lean Diggs a little bit. Damn it. What about uh, Tyler Boyd or Debo? Uh, ooh, that's a really good one. I think I'm gonna go Debo on that one just because of uh, the quarterback certainty. So yeah, Debo's definitely a, a pretty tricky, pretty tricky guy to decipher right now. And we know we love that tier of wide receivers rounds three to six, and he should he should remain in that range. And I think I think a lot of the trickiness in where we want to put him is maybe a testament to the type of player that Debo is because he's so damn versatile and he does so many different things that it's it's just kind of hard to quantify that, right? So maybe that's part of it for me is I definitely respect Debo's game a lot um, and I, I just maybe haven't formed a, a full opinion on that because he does so much for that offense. Yeah, and you know, we also saw Matt Breida traded away and San Fran did not bring in a running back. So I really do think it remains to be seen if they look to pass the ball a little bit more right even mm-hmm. if it is very you know very short average depths of the targets right? mm-hmm. and shanny could go anyway right he can go pass heavy he can go run heavy mm-hmm. he doesn't give a shit no 
So, Trav, <laughs> let's let's super quick hit a few situations, okay. and maybe we can go more in depth in the near future on these guys because we're yeah. running really long here. So, I put Josh <laughs> Allen down here just because it was starting to be worrisome. He has passed Matt Ryan in redraft, creeping close to like the Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, Deshaun yeah. Watson's here there for a while. But with the addition of Zach Moss and the defense in Buffalo, like Josh Allen, he do you think he's locked into a quarterback one season? Because he's definitely being drafted like that. Yeah, I think uh, I think just the way they use multiple backs there makes it so he doesn't have to do too much, right? Like obviously he relies a lot on his legs, which is what buoys him to that top twelve finish for me. Is that he's just gonna he's gonna run the ball so much and he runs in the red zone. Uh, nine touchdowns led all quarterbacks last year. I don't necessarily see him doing that again. But if he could give five to six touchdowns on like six hundred yards or something like he's like he's putting up. That's just like a, a super safe floor, especially if he can be your quarterback too in a super flex league. So uh, I see what you're seeing as far as him being a winner. Uh, they got Frank Gore out of there. They got another dynamic running back in the fold alongside Devin Singletary to um, just help insulate Josh Allen in the backfield there. So I like that you picked him out as a winner. Yeah, and I just, I think you, yeah, you felt my narrative out there pretty good because maybe I thought we felt like it was going to transition in the offense that was going to throw more, like that's what everybody's saying in Buffalo, but the more it comes together, the more I think it will be extremely similar to what we saw last year, just far more efficient on every level, right? And I, yeah. I love Zach Moss. I love Zach Moss, but... <laughs> Say it again for the people in the back. <laughs> yeah, and uh, smoke and crack, y'all. What's up? I like it. Get the fuck up. Simon says, get the fuck up. Throw your hands in the sky. The Broncos in the back shooting traps now. What's up? And I love Zach Moss, but he and Devin Singletary, they're just going to hurt each other. So I think yeah. it's strange. I basically think Zach Moss is a bigger, badder-ass version of Devin Singletary. Mm-hmm. So I think Singletary might have to keep putting up big plays at a league-leading rate to stay fantasy yeah. viable. But <laughs> there is no doubt Singletary is in big trouble, right, for fantasy. And sucked, I just, yeah. Like, where do you stand on this offense? Is the running back ad, like, is it, do you, you agree with me that it's a signal? They're not going to just air it out every play, right? That is, yeah, that's, it's funny. They're giving mixed signals. It's, it's yeah. crazy. They're like that. They're the, they're girl you're chasing, but you end up in the friend zone with or something. No longer a dating option. You become a complete non-sexual entity in her eyes, like her brother or a lamp. I don't want to be a lamp. Yeah. Well, then don't be her friend. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you got mixed signals right they pick up digs they got jo- josh allen coming off of you know a top seven quarterback season as far as fantasy i believe just like a good season for josh allen in, in real football terms right and they they bring in another weapon to go alongside john brown they got two wicked deep passing weapons all right let's send it with josh allen and then they draft zach moss so um <laughs> you know they kind of got you at three quarters chub and brought you back down to 25 percent, i think with uh with zach moss and uh, I think he can be really effective there. I think it's just like you said, the fact that they eat into each other might make this a super frustrating offense for fantasy football. Um, yeah. Especially uh, the passing game, man. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, we know sure. we're not going to get, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think we know we're not going to get upside. I hope people realize that with Singletary getting robbed at the goal line and not having the pass catching upside and all that. Mm-hmm. But you still worry about people really attaching to Stefan Diggs. It's like a fourth round pick that just scares me to death. So, because totally. I think, I think there could be some of those weak killers attached to owning Stefan Diggs, even in uh, new Diggs. 
Oh, big time, man. Stefan Diggs is the wide receiver one on one of my dynasty rosters, and I'm like losing my shit because Mike Williams is the wide receiver two on that team as well. So, uh, yeah, Diggs owners definitely are looking to go other routes or, or kind of, you know, resign to the fact that it's going to be a rough go with Stefan Diggs at the top of depth charts. Oh, yeah. So, guys who are going to have less trouble than they had last year. Trav, I have three guys. Any thoughts on these quarterbacks whose teams prioritize protecting them? So, I have Daniel Jones, Baker Mayfield, and Matt Stafford all added some pretty significant offensive alignment. Yeah, I think it's good for all of them, right? Like, I think for Daniel Jones in New York, they had a shit offensive line. And I think it helps him because he doesn't have that big alpha wide receiver. He's got Darius Slayton running deep, and then he's got Tate and Shepard as kind of those possession guys. Um, And I think an O-lineman is just going to help, especially because he does like to move the pocket a lot. So I think that's great for Daniel Jones. And then Baker, like this team, I think this team could be what we thought they were going to be last year, potentially, because he's got all the weapons that he needs he has a sick defense on the other side of the field and then they finally got that tackle they were actually in the conversation for Trent Williams but uh, they decided to go another route when they had a tackle come to them in the draft and I think that's a great move for for a young quarterback to have a young blindside protector with all those other weapons around him I, I love the Browns in general and I'm super interested to see them sorry I'm kind of rambling here but Matt Stafford, Stafford was the Stafford. <laughs> yeah Stafford uh, it's awesome for him because Maybe he has somebody who can protect him from having to get another one of them bacchiotomies. Uh, So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and he's getting into the twilight. They have really good wide receivers. They probably think they're in a position to make a run. Uh, So they want to maximize the last little bit of Matt Stafford's super productiveness. So uh, I like the additions all there. One guy I might add to that group tie is Kyler Murray. They got Josh Jones far later than he was supposed to go in the draft and uh, I think that was really really nice for for that offense to get uh, another piece on the offensive line because while Kyler's legs kind of help that uh, I think you still need good players there and they got one I I love what the Cardinals did getting Isaiah Simmons it fixes so much there they need a playmaker in the middle of the field so bad I also want the money on that draft prop Uh, but I really really like that you know, we don't have to expect the worst defense for fantasy next year when it comes to the Arizona Cardinals. They will not be historically bad against the tight end next year, and they will not allow the most yards on offense to opposing uh, on defense to opposing offenses. They also won't get dominated in time of possession. That's all going to help with what we really whiffed on last year, and that's the play volume in Arizona. For sure, and that goes along with a million other positive regression avenues for for that entire offense there. So I, I love that call, and to get Josh Jones where they did that. It's just highway robbery and mm-hmm. you you pair that with the fact i i really could care less i don't care if they devalue the offensive line over and over again there's a few teams i say that for seattle arizona these teams have the ability they can afford to do so not only because the offensive line is less important for a quarterback who's that mobile but more because or because of how good they are outside of structure but i mean it more because they are responsible for more sacks it's it's a hard thing right. to wrap your head around but these quarterbacks cause just as many sacks as their offensive linemen missing for for allowing pressures you know what i mean so good call yeah yeah i don't worry about it as much with that and then just going back to daniel jones i just keep saying he needs to be moved up the board you look at saquon barkley evan ingram darius slayton then sterling shepherd most of the time sometimes even golden tate all going Mm -hmm. before daniel jones and drafts the giants added thomas at four breaking the house of cards that is the mock draft world that that one really pissed me off (laughs) i secretly think he had a big board and a positional board dave gettleman and he had the tackle position up instead of his big board and just selected number four player on that list 
Well, didn't you see his war room? Because he's working with only one fucking monitor. Get a second monitor and you can have yeah, both of those totally. up, Dave. Come on. You're ahead of well, your he's, ass. The, he's truly the worst. He didn't trade down one time in this draft again. He never, ever does. And Yeah. Yeah, he's just, he's the worst. Very interested to see how he and Joe Judge coexist, even though with Joe Judge, I had so much excitement. And then he went around, brought in Jason Garrett, brought in Freddie Kitchens. I don't know yeah, what he's what doing the there either. Yeah, what the that, eh? Hard to say, but the Giants, they are on their way back up. I think they should be far more fantasy relevant, you know, compared to the last couple of years. For a team with a lot, they have a lot to be said for a group of dudes heading into their second season together. You know what I mean? There's a yeah, million yeah. moving pieces above their head with the coaching staff and everything, but the players, I like what's going on there. On mm-hmm. the other side of it, Baker Mayfield, you know, speaking of Freddie Kitchens, we, we could talk later maybe. I think he's a little overvalued, though. Like Okay. I love him as a talent, but I'm scared to death with the way Cleveland seems to be setting up to run the ball and Kevin For Stefanski sure. coming in, you know, that's really kind of pushing that needle towards that, that, that part of the, the offense, but the moves they've made that really lends the idea that they will run out a ton of run heavy schemes in Cleveland and Mayfield. he's probably sitting a tier too high for me is all in fantasy. Like I want Daniel Jones over him right now. Nice. And he's, he's they're pretty close together in drafts right now. I just think the way this offense went, Cleveland, they brought in the offensive lineman at 10 overall and Jack Conklin in free agency. They also brought in Austin Hooper, drafting Harrison Bryant, not trading away in Joku. That tells me a lot of two tight end sets. And then to further the 12 personnel narrative and run heavy packages, we could see they brought in Andy Bloody Janovich. So I say <laughs> go buy Nick Chubb and we'll talk about Cream Hunt because I put him down as a winner. Yeah, yeah, we're going to talk about it on the and running back I've, winners. Who was the third guy? I forgot. Uh, Maddie Snapback. That's right. Yeah. Be, uh, I think a lot of people, I just want to put him down as a winner because a lot of people might consider him a loser because they didn't add a big named mm-hmm. weapon like I thought. Um, Marvin Jones, I put him as a big a big winner in the wide receiver category. I think we'll get to him because a week ago I thought he, he might be a cut candidate, uh, cap candidate. I don't. I don't think that anymore, but Detroit no. added some weapons to go downfield on this offensive line. I really, really like what they did to their interior offensive line in this draft. And they added a free money running back. Like DeAndre Swift will be very useful for Matt Stafford. And TJ Hawkinson is a winner post-draft. All of a mm-hmm. sudden set for more fantasy-relevant work than Noah Fan 2020. Another proponent for, for a Matthew Stafford quarterback one season. So that's what I want to ask you. Do you think Matt Stafford is a quarterback one? And maybe rank those three for me. Baker Mayfield, Daniel Jones, and, uh, Ooh, and for 2020. Uh, Matt um, huh, it's funny. Matt Stafford was a was the quarterback two in points per game. Did you know that I, last year? I did. Yeah, he was but, he was the quarterback yeah. two in like every deep passing category. As yeah, well. he he and they and they really set up to continue that at least uh, at least in 2020 for sure. While this, for while this sure. coaching regime is here. Yeah, so I don't know. It's uh, for 2020. I'm gonna go. Let me go. Stafford, Baker, and Daniel Jones. Yeah. See, I think I got it. You know, I I have Stafford and Daniel Jones in a tier higher than Baker. Really? Eh. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. No. It's I see a lot that's of an interesting I see a lot tier. Of spiked weeks for both uh, Daniel Jones and Matt Stafford. I don't for see sure. the spiked weeks. Uh, I also, I you know, we have to wait and see what's gonna happen. With Jarvis Landry is gonna be healthy. He was his favorite target. Also, the touchdown upside guy in that offense last year. So. Mm-hmm. There's a lot, a lot that has to work out there in, in Cleveland, and that's another new offense coming in, so we'll see. For sure. So, Ty, uh, we got any other winner, winner chicken dinners or what? I got, I got like Phillip Rivers, you know. They added a storm on offense. Michael Pittman yep. adds to a T.Y. Hilton, fingers crossed, rebound season wide receiver group, and, you know, a group with Paris Campbell who had very yep. little volume and his health and development curve. They're under fire after a strong, you know, offseason last offseason. 
So I, I wonder how that's going to work out. You also have uh, Zach Pascal, who the team mentioned. Uh, they mentioned him by name during their presser. And they added Desmond uh, Patman, who I really like. You got Trey like Burton too, to yeah. add to that tight end room in the free agency to pair with Jack Doyle. And, you know, JT we also have to, in the backfield. Have, exactly. We have to dig into the usage in the Indianapolis backfield. I think it's mm-hmm. going to be one of my favorite topics this offseason. Will Jonathan Taylor see the passing work? What do they do with Marlon Mack before letting him walk in the offseason? And does Naeem Hines yeah. factor into the Phillip Rivers throws to running backs complex, right? So, for sure. Trav, do you have any blanket statements for Indianapolis or what are you saying? Um, not really any blanket statements. Um, I think, uh, rivers is what brings the excitement down for me, but that being said, the guy can throw for 4,025 touchdowns easily. Right. So, uh, I think they're one that's to be determined for me. Definitely still some unpacking to do. And the biggest question, much like you is about Jonathan Taylor and that passing game work and what's going to happen in that backfield. So, um, I'm not going to uh, put a stamp on the indie indie offense just yet. Uh, I just want to see it a little bit more and see how Phillip Rivers can mesh in that Frank Reich offense. Yeah, and there's a couple things we still got to hit, like the Colts for Superflex. They drafted Jacob Eason, so we have to hit that at some point. But I am ready to put a big stamp on this offense. The Indianapolis Colts are going to run, run, run the ball in 2020. Mm. Yeah, I can uh, see it. And that, that's going to be, you know, much the dismay of everybody buying the shit out of this passing game, which is mm-hmm. seems to be what's happening, to be honest. And so, Trav, the other guy I had as a winner really quick was Joe Burrow. I think we'll save a lot of it, but we have to go into what the difference will be, like how significant of an uptick will this, uh, you know, the pieces in this offense experience with Joe Burrow there. Also, the big fiasco with A.J. Green could be coming down the pipe and the T. Higgins pick uh, kicking off the second Love round could that. play into that as well, right? A ton's more. So uh, sure. any blanket statements on them? Um, I think just the uh, the arrow is pointing up for mm. the Cincinnati Bengals. I like Zach Taylor. I liked a lot of Me what too. we saw out of the Bengals offense last year. Um, and now he's getting some players in that can do what he's looking for. Uh, those those wide receiver weapons all of a sudden look awfully deep. And Joe Burrow's going into an awesome situation for a young quarterback. He's getting some O-line, or he's getting Jonah Williams back on the O-line. So hopefully that improves. Uh, yeah, it's just uh, the arrow is pointing up. Yeah, lots to go through there at a later date. So what mm-hmm. say you, Trav? Should we hit a couple quarterback losers, maybe just like Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, talk about them a little bit? Yeah, let's hit a couple of the uh, Luhu Zahers. <laughs> <laughs> so Aaron Rodgers, he has got to be oh a loser, my right? Oh, God, yeah. So his, uh, no wide receiver yeah. drafted. They drafted a quarterback. No offensive lineman drafted until Oof. 192 overall. Meanwhile, everybody else made the complete poignant effort to build around their quarterback. So what do you think? Is he still a back-end quarterback one, or where where, where, are you, where, are you, where are you sit on Aaron Rodgers? It's pretty tough to put him there. It's pretty tough to put him there. He hasn't been playing like that guy, you know, at least last year he wasn't, that's for sure. And uh, without any other weapons in, it's really hard to slot him in there because, like you said, all these other teams are building around these guys. I, You know, those guys are all shifting up, whereas Aaron Rodgers is, you know, even if he's staying stagnant, he's moving back, right, because the other guys are moving up. Um, Very from like reflective a re- of his career. Yeah, no shit. Uh, like as far as a rankings perspective, right? I think he can still give like some productive weeks, um, and he's still a solid quarterback too in super flex leagues. But uh, it, it's really hard to uh, really hard to see him putting up those top twelve numbers. And now we have you know the the clock is ticking on his tenure in Green Bay there. So 
rough go for Aaron Rodgers. I mean, if if you're him, are you pissed right off or what? Well, obviously, and he's like born pissed mm-hmm. off, right? That's why it's such a weird thing. I think <laughs> yeah. so. <laughs> you know, he lives. But, and I'll off. get into that here. So give me one sec because it, it pertains to your Philadelphia Eagles too. To oh, an extent, God. there's a parallel there. So right now, Aaron Rodgers, he's the quarterback 13 in my ranking. So you know, whatever, he's a quarterback one back end. I don't care. Put him quarterback 10, whatever. The the big two things I want to say is he's now in a tier where quarterback scores so closely bunched together. So right there, he becomes just a jag in one quarterback leagues to me. But mm-hmm. he still has that household name slapped on him, so his ADP will get pitched up in uh, home leagues and stuff. But for the more important point, and because I'm a best ball degenerate, I think Aaron Rodgers, the way this offense is trending, that's what the bigger overtone of this NFL draft was for the Green Bay Packers. But we just will not get these big weeks. And last year, he had very few high-end performances for fantasy owners as it was. And it isn't just the offense. Like, I know people want to believe quarterbacks can last forever, but... What we saw from Aaron Rodgers last year was revealing. I think when you add in the direction this team is steamrolling towards, Mm -hmm. um, like just the down and dirty last year, Aaron Rodgers was a top three quarterback just three times. He finishes the quarterback 20 or worse nine times, and over 40% of his fantasy points came in just two games. And Trav, we talked exhaustedly about, is that a word, exhaustedly? We talked extensively. Yeah, uh, nice. We talked a bunch about the running back involvement, how <laughs> unique it was under an Aaron Rodgers offense, you know, and now this offense spent the last couple weeks trying to literally mimic the San Francisco 49ers. But before we get off Aaron Rodgers, before his collarbone snaps and we get another rule change, <laughs> I want to touch on his deep passing. That's what I think is diminished in value. The deep ball that Aaron Rodgers has been famous for, it's kind of not been there like we, like we think it might have been in like, you know, the 2010 to 2015 range. And it's also what I see decreasing as this offense morphs. So, and I also think it's kind of where the public perception and the team's guidelines they're laying out, they converge as well. So last year, Aaron Rodgers, he threw over 90 deep balls, passes 20 or 20 yards or more down mm-hmm. the field. That was second in the NFL, just behind Jameis Winston. Only Russell Wilson and Matt Stafford threw deep more often than Rodgers as well. Here's where it gets fuzzy. The efficiency is something we've always said in the same sentence as Aaron Rodgers, yet in 2019, he was sixth in deep ball completions and passing yards from deep passing. Among quarterbacks who had 20 deep ball attempts, Aaron Rodgers' deep ball completion percentage ranked 26th out of 35 qualified dues. The year before, in 2018, Rodgers was second behind Pat Mahomes in attempts, deep ball attempts, top three in deep ball completions, and the percentage of passes to be thrown deep. But again, like, you know, you see quarterbacks like Mahomes, like Russell Wilson, these guys are maintaining their efficiency deep down the field. Aaron Rodgers in 2018 ranked 20th out of 33 qualified quarterbacks in deep ball completion percentage. So I could do this all day, but the Aaron Rodgers, (laughs) he's thrown a ton of deep balls year in and year out. But since 2016, Rodgers has been pretty unreliable on the deep ball and it's getting worse. Yet he still hovers around the 80 to 90 deep ball attempts every year. And my point being, I think the team is sick of it. I think... They bring in this new coach and, you know, they're providing him with zero talent to go down the field, I think says it all. You know what I mean? And now mm-hmm. with this agenda, they put forth this offseason. We have to be really alarmed if we own Aaron Rodgers and I'd be shipping him in Superflex, like taking any quarterback one prices for him. For sure, man. And, uh, you know, it's funny. It's funny that you say they're sick of the deep ball and they want to shift that offense a lot. Well, Matt LaFleur 
came from the Tennessee Titans OC position and where he had Derrick Henry, obviously. And look at where he goes in the second round of the draft with A.J. Dillon, another monster running back who's going to pound the rock and be a big red zone weapon. And so that, you know, that spins us off into the Aaron Jones being a loser after the draft. And that's something that we're probably going to talk about at the, uh, on the running back episode, but uh, it looks like Matt LaFleur wants to come in and change up this offense. And uh, I don't think he's going to be able to do that for as long as Aaron Rodgers is there. So like I said, the clock is ticking and I like what you laid out about those deep balls. Like something's got to change there. He's throwing it up as, as much as anybody else in the league, but he's not completing them and they're not willing to go get a wide receiver. Like one of the best contest contested catch wide receivers in the draft, in my opinion, was Denzel Mims. They had two shots at him and they didn't take it, you know? So uh, it, it was a huge, huge sign for what they want to do. And I, I like how you laid that out there. And I'm definitely in the same boat in that thinking. Yeah. And I was going to save it for the running back episode, but you triggered me too bad. At least I want to mention <laughs> one thing like, and it just it, like, remember the exotic smash mouth with DeMarco Murray and Derrick Henry. Exactly. Derrick Henry was drafting around too. That offense took a load of heat. Like, a lot of jokes were made at the expense of the exotic smash mouth. LaFleur yeah. <laughs> came in and ran the ball even more than the exotic smash mouth, uh, smash mouth regime and was even less efficient running it. Like, he came in after that group and was running the ball more and less efficiently. And in 2018, Matt LaFleur's only season calling plays in Tennessee before landing this job that was once held by Vince Lombardi and Mr. Lambeau himself. Mm-hmm. That season, the Titans were 25th in points per play. So this guy, he is not building an offense that we want to be attached to for fantasy. And actually, maybe, what do you think about Devontae Adams? Like, do you think this is a bad thing or a good thing for Devontae Adams? Because on one side, they're obviously shifting this offense, but on the other side, they added fuck all, right? Yeah, well, I think I think it's kind of uh, he he relatively stays the same, right? Yeah, it's status if, quo. If they, yeah, I think I think he's just gonna keep the status quo because the offense has the passing offense has to funnel to him. It just has to. Like they don't really have much else. They brought in Devin Funches. MVS is there. Uh, you know the the acronym boys MVS and ESB. Um, the alien lizard. Right, and Alan Lazard. I wasn't finished yet, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, Alan Lazard actually is the guy who looks like their best option at wide receiver, too. So, um, And then you got Jay Sternberger as their tight end, which uh, he could be sneaky relevant, but I'm not, like, my hopes aren't super high for that, right? So uh, I think Devontae Adams has to be the funnel, and I think it, it, he's still got a couple years of good production left. Yeah, I think he's the the biggest funnel in your cupboard, you know, when you're looking for that funnel. He's that big one, you know, the one you're using for the beer bong when when the parents go away for the weekend. Or you could use for like a fucking pancake batter. The thing is so big, you know? Yeah. You could take the thick stuff, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) You know, that is a pretty good idea for making pancakes. But Well, you know what you do is you take the old you take an old ketchup bottle and you funnel the pancake mix into there and you squeeze the shit out and you can make shapes and shit. Yeah, see, I never got the whole reusing of recy- uh, you know, plastics and stuff that it's just ketchup's one of those things. You'll never be able to not see ketchup coming out For of sure. it. For you know sure. I mean? it's just, you know what's it, funny is it's, yeah. I keep those things with like good intentions that they could be repurposed for like the girls' crafts or something like that. And they just sit on the counter for like a month until I get pissed off and just chuck them out. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the repurposing, I say that shit with good intentions, but ask me how many times I've used it for pancake mix. And <laughs> that's probably once or twice. <laughs> uh, but I can't even remember where we were at now. <laughs> yeah, all I'm, thinking, I'm thinking of that White Stripes song where it's my head's like pancake batter. All right, so 
I'm down with the alien lizard. If we're on the alien lizard, that's where I'll right. go because it can't not be a vote of confidence for Alan Lazard, right? In a little tiny way. But what we were saying was the giant funnel. That's right. So Devonte Adams, the giant funnel. So he's one of them. <laughs> Michael Thomas is the other, right? They're the clear leaders in the clubhouse for the NFL target leader. I think at this yeah. point, I think he could see Devonte Adams could see a crazy amount of targets. The wide receiver sure. position as a whole is something we're already seeing. Lafleur was a big influence. You know, we talked about it a lot last year and just how little we saw this wide receiver group score. It was the lowest in the last decade of any wide receiver group in fantasy. And even, you know, Adams missed four games last year. He still scored more fantasy points than Geronimo Allison and MVS combined. Mm-hmm. So I, I think Adams is used beautifully in the slot by Lafleur too. If we had to pay this guy one single compliment, it's how he's using Devonte Adams. <laughs> and his game isn't as predicated on deep work as some people might think. So I think right. Devonte Adams, I think he has the volume for sure. And he still comes with as much touchdown upside as anybody. And Jimmy Graham's departure only encourages that statement. And I think that is why quietly I do kind of like Alan Lazard though. And Lazard was quietly second in receiving yards on Green Bay last year. I know the running backs were second and third in catches, but what, what I'm saying is quietly the Packers have over 130 targets for grabs. And yeah, nice. I'm expecting even more rushing volume, less pass attempts, but I like the 30% vacated target share inside the 10 yard line in Green Bay. Ooh. And I'm sure Devontae Adams will too. So For sure. is it crazy to have Devontae Adams as the wide receiver two overall in redraft? Or do you envision this offense steering so far towards the run? I, I just think it's so interesting that Devontae Adams has been a wide receiver one basically in 75% of his games the last two years, which is unheard of. And I've never been the biggest Devontae Adams fan, especially this offseason, because I was ready to fade him with the expectation mm-hmm. a big-name wide receiver would come in. You know, the lack of wide receiver depth, it's pretty indefensible. They added no wide receivers, but also this coaching staff and everything. So I have pretty much done a whole 180 on Devontae Adams. I still think <laughs> I want Tyreek Hill over him, but what do, you, what do you think about this top tier at the wide receiver position? Is Devontae Adams there? Yeah, I I can't put him at two. I do have Tyreek Hill at wide receiver two for me behind Michael Thomas. Um, I'm more comfortable saying that Devontae Adams is a top five wide receiver than a top two wide receiver. Um, I'd have to but look But that's pretty easy it. this year. That's pretty easy this year. Yeah, I think like, so, right? I think right? he was already and like wide receiver four or five, you know? For sure. Because like, you, sure. you got new Hopkins and then it's, it's kind of that drop off after that. Yeah, for sure. And then you could toss like, you know, Godwin in that realm there. Juju's looking for a bounce back. We can't forget about him. Um, And then we've got some other guys emerging like DJ Moore and Cooper Cup. So uh, the wide receiver landscape is looking slick. Um, And Devontae Adams definitely fits inside there. Um, I'm just not necessarily sure where yet. Uh, Top five is pretty safe, though. Yeah, I think he's going to see a lot of volume, a lot of touchdowns. So what what do you do you want to do some Jordan Love talk or do you want to save that? Because it's a lot of the same vibes, like a head coach. Yeah, pretty much. Give, yeah, like he, he's given himself lots of time to argue to keep his job, you know, should he fail? Um, sure. Like not actually, but using your first round pick on a quarterback, your second round pick on a one dimensional banger who erroneously gets compared to Derrick Henry. Yeah. Out in Tennessee. And then you send, you, you spend your third round pick on Kyle Juszczyk 2.0. Like that was such For a sure. clear fuck you to both errands. And yeah. what I thought was really despicable as well, Trav, is... You mentioned it off the top, man. Aaron Rodgers is such a poopy pants, and they didn't even (laughs) inform him that they were making that selection. And no doubt he was reading some stuff. Everybody said they would go wide receiver in round one, right? And apparently your your Eagles told Wentz about the Jalen pick, so it wouldn't wouldn't hurt so much. (laughs) Yeah. But I I just, I can't believe it. And yeah, it's just, it's insane because of that, that smash mouth offense we saw. 
And, you know, they're going to be a lot of running in 2020 and maybe a dash of Godzilla. But what are we doing with this passing game? Like, do you think it's just going to be a really ugly run heavy offense until Jordan Love's ready to take over? That's what I'm asking. Yeah, pretty much, man. And and, which is really interesting because I don't think Jordan Love is a better passer than Aaron Rodgers. So it's funny to think that they might open it up to pass more once Jordan Love gets it. Um, That's part of the reason why I'm not like super into diving into Jordan Love right now is because I think we are a couple years out from from needing to worry about that and this offense you know the pieces around him even Lafleur, you know the head coaching job could look vastly different by the time Jordan Love even gets in there so uh, I think we're a ways out from that and uh, it's going to be an interesting one to see if they can groom Jordan Love into being a competent NFL quarterback you know yeah I, I loved I truly can't wait to just say wow they were so close to going to the Super Bowl in 2019 and mm-hmm. one year later, we're entertaining Aaron Rodgers being traded to another team and Jordan Love taking over the Packers job and this offense being extremely boring for fantasy. I just for sure. I, I think that that is in the range of outcomes. And I think 100%. They're, running, they're just they're, they're doing it the wrong way over there for sure. So for let's sure. go to a team that is doing it the right way. And if we have time, maybe we'll go elsewhere. But we're, we're running really late here. Yeah, so what, totally. <laughs> what, what do you think of Drew Brees? Like uh, the Saints, they did some stuff. They took three players who were top 40 on their board. Brees, you know, he has another interior offensive lineman to protect him. And I think Ruiz, he could he could be Caesar to the right guard thrown right away. Mm-hmm. But they added a third down tight end. He should be firmly behind 33-year-old Jared Cook for 2020. But for, for dynasty tight end premium, uh, Premium leagues. Troutman's my, my tight end one, by the way. So yep. traded every pick they had at the time to get him at 101 or 105 or something. Then uh, they, they ended up trading back into the draft, if anybody cares, for their Taysom Hill replacement. Ooh. But what, what do you think? Because a lot of people are painting Drew Brees as a loser, but what, what do you think about that? I don't know. I think getting a... a brand new offensive lineman is pretty sick uh i think troutman could have some sneaky usage even this year uh so i don't i wouldn't necessarily call him uh, a a loser of this Uh, i think if anything it's just kind of a status quo for drew Brees, right he's got michael thomas alvin kamara they didn't add another running back so that's good for latavius murray um and yeah I, i loved the troutman pick i loved it they uh they give their tight ends a lot of opportunity in the red zone i really like that uh one thing to mention with the saints is that Jameis Winston signed there he's going to learn behind Drew Brees and from Sean Payton so that's another Saints note um, but yeah I don't think it's a big loss for Drew Brees myself but what do you think yeah I, really quick I want to touch on the Jameis thing uh, one thing's driving me nuts everyone I'm hearing is Taysom Hill the fu- quarterback of the future is Jameis Winston the quarterback of the future for the Saints is Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill um, mm-hmm. I like that's that. that's just yeah. so obvious and I don't know why people are arguing between the two it makes zero sense to me. But yeah, I think the Saints, the <laughs> difference between like, there is a lot of parallels to draw with the wide receiver not being added in round one for Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees and all that. The difference is the offense and the relationship between the quarterback and the organization, frankly, yeah. obviously. But uh, the ceiling, the deep passing, that's kind of gone from the Saints offense if we're like, you know, following the trends. And I think it'll continue to operate in a very specific fashion, but it's one that's built on what Drew Brees can still do at a high level. And he's really been less susceptible to the decline we've seen from other aging quarterbacks. And it's not supernatural. Like Sean Payton, that offensive line, they're just hard to stop because they've added Alvin Kamara, transformed a once pass heavy offense into a very balanced one. Meanwhile, Drew Brees, he's getting rid of the ball quicker than any quarterback, like Mm -hmm. 2.75 seconds over the last two years, which going up, like, you know, that's before three steamboats. That's not even fair. So I, (laughs) like, it's literally not. You gotta count three steamboats. You gotta count three. 
That's not fair. <laughs> so really, to me, the draft, any negativity, whatever we thought last year is how we should feel about Drew Brees heading into this season. And Emmanuel Sanders, who's, you know, he was brought in during free agency. That's the longer story if we're going to talk about his fantasy, fantasy yeah. upside, given his age and overuse last year. But for Brees, he, you know, Emmanuel Sanders is an upgrade at the wide receiver two position. And Ted Ginn's gone. Maybe Traquan Smith assumes that deep role. We know he's at least going to have two games this year unpredictably where he goes off for two touchdowns. But also maybe UDFA Marquez Callaway is that guy. Who knows? But I think mm-hmm. Drew Brees is set up even better than he was last season for fantasy. And again, we should be concerned with his age, like that inevitable cliff. You know, that's the only thing we should be worried about with Brees. I mean, we saw Peyton Manning throw for over 4,500 yards one year just to be replaced by Brock Osweiler the next year. Mm-hmm. But again, we have a lot more faith in Sean Payton as opposed to John Fox. And I think Adam Gase might even been the OC with uh, Peyton Manning back in the day there. Yeah, but let's be honest, Peyton Manning was the OC for Peyton Manning there. Yeah, and exactly. And Breeze coming back, he was a top five quarterback coming uh, coming off the injury last year, which was really surprising to me. So they, they should be a high-powered offense with an elite offensive line who gets the ball out quickly. Comes with huge yards after the catch totals, which is what we've seen in this offense in recent years and for fantasy football. And then amazing running back market share with huge touchdown upside. So I still Mm -hmm. love this offense. And, you know, he's still pretty much a a borderline quarterback one. What What do you think? Yeah, for sure. I think that's the beauty of it with Drew Brees is that I think like almost two seasons ago now is when we really tempered our expectations on him because we saw that the deep ball wasn't coming out as much as it was before and stuff like that. Right. And so we kind of, we kind of already prepped ourselves to um, take a step back from that top five Drew Brees. Right. And so anything up in that top 12 is just kind of a bonus, I think. So I think that's kind of where it lies for me is that, you know, I'm expecting that, you know, quarterback 14 to 18 range. And if he gives me that quarterback eight to 12 range, then that's fucking awesome. Right. You know? So I I think, I think Drew Brees is looking really good in that saints offense. And I think that team in general is just primed to make one last run for him. Yeah. And draft weekend, nothing's changed with Michael Thomas. He's still your wide receiver one, all formats. Absolutely. Yeah. Nothing changed at all. Yeah. I think he could have maybe been contested as the overall wide receiver one if they added like a yards after the catch machine, like a Brendan Ayuk or something. Mm-hmm. Just Manny Sandy, Jared Cook to account for it. Should be a shitload of Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara this year. Yeah. So, yeah, I know maybe we should cut it off here, Trav. I know I've been rambling okay. a lot. We yeah. Just, we haven't been on together post draft, you know? It's no just so, doubt. so exciting. I just want to talk so much. And I think there's lots to go in with the Saints as well. And there's lots of quarterback losers or guys who have the perception of having lost. We could talk about Russell Wilson going forward, maybe Deshaun Watson, Ryan Tannehill, you know, guys like that. So yeah, there's lots more to do and a lot of winners to hit at the other positions for sure. For sure. And then you could also toss one last one that I have on my notes here is that Jared Goff didn't get any O-line help, but uh, I'm sure we'll talk a lot of Rams as we move through the off season here too, Ty. So I want to talk about how they went Akers over Dobbins and then they went Jefferson over Mims. So I think those yeah. are, and you know, they had some Ezra Cleveland, they had some amazing offensive linemen available in the second round there. For sure. For sure. It was definitely a curious one there. So, um, but yeah, anyway, man, I, uh, you know, it feels weird to say, but it's almost like, I feel like I have to say, I appreciate you having me because <laughs> it's been so long, you know? Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was really good to get back, man. Talk some football. Like I said, I kind of needed this outlet, a little bit of therapy. I've been, uh, 
doing the family thing and I appreciate you and the rest of the True North team giving me a little bit of a uh, little bit of space to do so because it has been much needed. And thanks to all of, you know, any True North fans, fans out there. Um, a couple things I do have to say before you ride out here is make sure you hit expand the box score. Uh, that is our podcast sponsor. They are a an essential database for, for fantasy digging, right? So they've got, we're kind of moving out of the college research, research uh, area of the off season, but they have tons of stuff for NCAA players. If you want to get a jump start on 2021 draft picks, go hit expand the box score. That's expandtheboxscore.com. They also have lots of NFL stuff. You can find Major League Baseball, uh, NBA, and, and you can actually find Minor League Baseball as well there too. So if you hit their site, expandtheboxscore.com, you can get 10% off your purchase if you uh, use the promo code TRUENORTH10. So make sure you do that. We love Expand the Box Score. Um, we use their database all the time and, and we really stand by that product. And then lastly, I just want to mention one more time that we put out our uh, TNFF gear this past week. So if you want to support the crew, uh, by ordering some gear and representing wherever you live we would really really appreciate that if you do feel free to tag us on twitter and send us a picture of you rocking the gear we would really love to see that um, it just kind of feels cool for us to see that there's there's people out there who really enjoy our content and want to want to support the crew so we appreciate that and actually on that if you hit the site at truenorthffb.com slash shop uh, you can actually get 15% off your entire purchase right now so uh, I think there's about 10 days left in that promo so make sure you hit the site and check that out if you want to uh, rock some fresh new digs um sorry Ty, i just rambled a lot there but uh thanks Swag. again for uh yeah thanks again for joining me on a sunday night and podding brother you kids still saying swag uh maybe um okay yeah so thanks again to our listeners uh visit the site at truenorthffb.com tyrell can be found at tnff tyrell on twitter he's got lots of really great stuff check the site he's got some written content and uh, he's always got tons of mini pods and ty yeah you've just been grinding hard and it's been pretty cool to see so that's another reason why i'm happy to join you and i can be found at tco14 thanks again true north out peace